everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Luckily, MSNBC's live, co- live coverage will continue. Talk Recorded live. Hoaxbusters call. Join the discussion by dialing 724-4477-444. Call ID 90337. Hey there, everybody. What's going on? It's uh, Chris here. It's uh, September 19th, 2016. Uh, yeah. Oh, I got an audio issue here. Let me, uh, I gotta make an adjustment. Something is, damn it. Been having some computer issues. Uh, one, two, check. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, let's see. Who's in the chat here? Uh, John Sampson, Flat Earth Truth, Jimmy Boy, Mahatma Coat, Simmer Eric, Simmer, Simmerian, Simmer, Cultural Cold War that was pointed out, and then the uh, art movement that, um, saying that, uh, yeah, you could paint a portrait. And need you to crank out some art, you know, or kind of wait around for you to get us some art pieces we can take down to the Momo. And then he, he, they just, he gets, uh, gets a few shots in him and then he's, he gets to go on wailing away with his paintbrush slinging paint on canvas. And then it's like, oh, 433 is just kind of like where he, um, goes and sits on the piano bench and then, uh, opens up the piano like he's, he, he's fixed to launch into some kind of a composed piece, but he, he, he just sits there and, uh, you hear the kind of, people sitting in the audience, maybe coughing or sniffing or uh, shuffling around in their seat or something like that. But that's, that's the sound. That's the, the sound of uh, somebody not playing their instrument. I, I don't know. Like what that's art too, you know, like that's art just as good as art, you know, it's a, like, what does it even mean art? You know, like, uh, but yeah, it's uh, patently absurd patently absurd on its face and uh nonsensical but then at the same time it's present its presentation is to give it some kind of like a credibility like oh this is really this john john cage is really on to something here this is going uh not not play the instrument and then the sound of not playing the instrument is the is the piece it's like, yeah, yeah, what are you saying? I mean, what are you even getting at? What are you even driving at? It's like, let's say you had a point to make with all that. I mean, couldn't it be made just by stating it and then, but you go through this rigmarole that's like a, uh, 
it's just, it's just, yeah, it's just really nonsensical. And it really is nonsensical. I mean, what, what is there to that? Nothing. Um, but then, you know, as that all was getting redefined, you have this, you know, this thing called punk rock emerge with closely affiliated with people like Andy Warhol, you know, and the Campbell soup can guy and, uh, all his affiliates and all that. And, uh, the velvet underground, which did music about, uh, this sort of nihilistic, uh, drug themed music that was supposedly super influential in the music scene. And, uh, well, that, uh, brings me to, um, this, uh, really good article on, uh, aamorris.net. I have a link to that over to the right hand side of the site, sites of interest at hoaxbustercall.com. Yeah, I recommend checking this site out. It's, uh, these guys do some really good, uh, analysis and it really ties in well with like a lot of stuff that I talk about and John talks about people on the calls talk about, uh, this culture creation thing, but I'll read this article. It's a couple of paragraphs here. Uh, do the royalty literally run the show? And it says, uh, we, we all seem to really enjoy being entertained. Singing and dancing is natural. Every human is an artist. The thing is that the thing is art has been used as to enslave the minds of the masses for generations because we naturally enjoy entertainment. The idea of the five day work week and blowing off steam after work with a beer and a song is something commercials have promoted for years. Maybe it's past time that we think this scheme, perhaps a three day work week is in order in this magical age of cloud computing. Imagine the world that could be built in the imaginations of most of us were set free. Television is a powerful tool. The actors and performers are literally in our living rooms. We tend to regard our favorite celebrities like we consider our friends and family. This is due to our inherent behavioral natures, which this medium is used to take advantage of. We tend to parrot parrot and monkey each other's behavior. The television is used to sell the public on new ideas of fashion and sexual freedom. These ideas themselves have obvious merit, but the multimedia beast uses these cultural excuse me, creations to create division among the public. In other words, we are naturally free to do as we please with our bodies and with others who agree with us. We shouldn't go around forcing other people to act or or think how we, how we deem fit. Uh, What you do is on you, but the obvious logical application of the golden rule is ignored by the multimedia beast, which promotes various forms of social shepherding and behavioral control. People are encouraged to join groups like of the like-minded more often than not led by controlled opposition figures. This makes managing the resources of the estate much easier. Uh, better still keep the public fighting over nonsense like sexual preference rather than allowing the public to get our act together so we can collectively change things to our advantage. Uh, the political system and events like the presidential elections are means of social control through team-building division. We are supposed to worry about Trump or Hillary getting in instead of realizing it doesn't matter who is in office. What matters is knowing what to ask of the system. If enough of us get together, it might be possible to slightly alter our collective fate. We might be able to end some of the war on drugs, for example. This is one of the most obvious examples of government corruption and and how private businesses benefit from this imposed fraudulent uh, so-called legal system by way of the absurd prison system. Historically, the nobility were the only ones with the time 
to learn the arts in the first place. They were literate and the masses not so much. Things must have changed as the merchant or middle class rose. I have a book of old Renaissance woodcuts and they show the royal ladies playing lutes and other musical instruments, for example. It's pretty clear that these are also the people who enjoy playing dress up on elaborate stages. The royal court robes and the powdered wigs are all part of the show. The royals are also the traditional patrons of the arts. They paid and pay for the architecture and the rest of the cultural artifacts used to keep the masses in their place. It's like the Pied Piper fable. Religion is another construct paid for by the nobles to control the masses. They paid for all the art and architecture. This defines the imagination of the mass public. It's basic psychology. The university system was also the creation of the nobility and was heavily influenced by the Jesuit order. It is a traveling royal roadshow. They literally sent artists around the world to create this worldwide empire we know today. The New World Order has been around for a long time, well over 200 years or so. Masons are just artists of one kind or another. It's like the tales of the traveling elf royalty from Celtic mythology or the gypsies coming to town and putting on a show, a traveling carnival. Basically, the world is run by carnies. These families are the real, quote-unquote, mafia. And, uh, well, yeah, that's uh, the dovetails nicely to what we were talking about uh, with the uh, different uh, personas that we were addressing on the uh, punk rock conversation um, and other conversations. uh, You know, you kind of uh, go into who these people are. And the high-profile ones that are kind of out there up front and center are typically connected some in some form or fashion to uh, what would constitute uh, in our modern day or in the Western world or, you know, specifically the United States is, what, you know, U.S. royalty, people are the higher echelons of the, like the military, you know, admirals, you know, people uh, that are... Uh, up up there in the uh, Patty Smith's dad was uh, worked on satellites for Honeywell or you know the uh, the not to say that they're at the tip top but they're sort of higher up the chain of our class structure which you know it's not supposed to exist but of course exists and yeah it's just the same pattern that you saw back you know that allegedly existed in the time of uh, the Royals, which uh, I, I've said many times and bring this up. That I think it's a provable fact that this so-called United States never left the thumb of the British empire ever at one time, never did. I mean, we had a real good conversation with uh, Lynn that was on uh, the last hoaxbusters call that I did. And, uh, uh, maybe it was the time she was on before the last couple of times, but it, during the course of the conversation, she brings up the fact that the American flag was originally the Grand Union flag, which was the flag of the British East India Company. And um, now I really wasn't aware of that. I mean, I, I, I did not know that uh, the original American flag, and, then I'm, and this is after the... Uh, you know, so-called Declaration of Independence was implemented and stuff. This is like in 1777. 
the flag, if you look at the flag, it's like verbatim the flag of the British East India, India Company. It's got the stars. It's got not, it doesn't have the stars as the stripes, but in the place where the star field is, is the Union Jack, is the British, the British, uh, Union Jack or whatever they call it. Yeah, the British flag. Anyway, the, the, the British, the East, East India Company flag. Oh, oddly enough, but no, is that something that you learn in school? I tell you about that or like, uh, yeah, we talked about too, about the, uh, the different treaties and stuff that kind of pointed out that, uh, yeah, we owe the, we, we owe the, uh, British establishment like a shit ton of money after the Revolutionary War and what was going to be done about all that. And they would, you know, have, uh, have the uh, influence through commerce, which they always did. And then, like, you know, you have the um, – we talk about American history, and you had the so-called nobles. And I was listening to a conversation between uh, a self-described anarchist and somebody else that was a self-described uh, minarchist, which means limited government. And then they were bringing up the nobles that around the time of the cons- – the drafting of the so-called constitution. And I've brought this point up before. It's like, well, okay. So it's a new quote unquote country or one that was instilled in development at that time had not been established yet. Right. What? Not quite right. Yeah. Around, you know, that time when they were drafting the constitution. Right. So they don't have a, you know, a, a, a separate country as it, as of yet, but the, the, you know, talking about the different, concessions and stuff that were made and put in the constitution and some that that were primarily beneficial of the nobles but wait a minute how do you have nobility how do you have the nobles we're, we're nobles according to what well the british british empire the establishment right the, the, how else do you get nobles in a brand new country everybody start from scratch right or they just gain nobility and that sh- even before a country no they were british nobles they're british as recognized by the uh, British um, system that was in place at the time, obviously. So uh, what kind of horseshit is that? Well, I mean, it's just a continuation of the same old thing. And then you have 2016, which is this year, and it's a continuation of the same old thing. And then, you know, we point out that uh, our entertainers are part of this aristocracy. Some of them like quite uh, openly, you know, literally connected to aristocracy. Who was it that we were bringing up? Uh, golly, I forget. But anyway, yeah, I can go back and listen to those audios. But anyway, yeah, uh, pointing out that, oh, yeah, they're, this is a, the, 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 a, a, uh, literal princess from royalty that's a, a big star in America and it's like something you'll see and it's like oh is it, you don't say but no that's the way it, that's the way it is and it, yeah and if you think about it like it points out in that excellent article there on the a, a Morris site that uh, yeah who's got the time to get all up in the arts not work not the working class it's the uh, aristocracy Always has been. And what are they going to do? They're going to promote. And uh, because the, the, it's the biggest cultural influence going is the uh, 
entertainment industry shapes people's minds and their attitudes and their thoughts toward things. And uh, so their, their aristocracy is going to inculcate ideas into the masses that serve their aristocracy, obviously. And one thing you're always going to see with entertainment and uh, everything that comes out of Hollywood and everything that uh, comes out of this mass media info entertainment complex, the Disney industrial complex or whatever you want to call it is. And I point this out, even though you may see something in film that is not necessarily falls in the category of any kind of predictive programming or direct overt uh, selling of a, a, of a new idea, it will be there to enforce the existing system to lend it uh, credibility and legitimacy by the way it handles certain subjects. So, you know, I, I mean, for example, like you'll see all kinds of uh, dramatic depictions of uh, the, the police, the FBI, the, uh, the, the different agencies, stuff like that. And they always come in riding on the white horse and they're the heroes that save the day. And of course, you know, the, oh, they're human and they have their flaws and they have it, but they're mainly primary their primary goal and objective in life is to see justice isn't done and to protect and defend the American way. And that's what the, uh, these agencies are about. That's what your first responders are about. We hear so much about first responders and they're these, you know, sort of deified heroes in our culture. And that's something that always gets pushed in your face, you know, during these hoaxed events and stuff like that. And, uh, well, just the idea that, the government is this is the savior figure. They're they're the protector. They're the they're the white hats. They're the good guys. They're the uh, defenders of liberty and happiness and freedom. And it's like, um, oh, is that the truth? Well, maybe a case can be made, and then maybe you can turn on your YouTube or television and you can watch a SWAT team raid on <laughs> people that are selling raw milk and then maybe think i don't know if that does that fit or like in the boston so-called bombing where they raided they're pointing um high-powered uh you know military style weapons you got a guy that's in full military regalia with rolling in on a tank and he's got a, a helmet a military style helmet and military style body armor jack boots and the whole whole nine yards and he's got a military stuff and pointing it at toddlers is that the truth in american way is that what they stand for is that what yeah pointing at families and toddlers, just pointing it at them you don't point a firearm at anybody jackass period i actually made a phone call to the boston police department i gave him a piece of my mind i didn't put it up on the thing i just thought it was kind of redundant but um do i still have that somewhere maybe i will put it up but yeah, I just called them. I said, can I talk to a police? Yeah, the Boston thing, I'm watching it on, you know, what do you think about that? The guy's got a toddler in his arms, and his, you got this guy over here pointing a gun at him. Like, what do you think about it? You think that's good firearms handling practice and anything like that? I was like, what do you think What do you think about that? It's, I can't comment, sir. I don't know. I don't see the video. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know if we have. Do we have uh, this pure denial mode where they'll, they'll always latch? And that's why I didn't post the call. It's like it's kind of, like I said, redundant. You go into the stonewalling denial. I don't know. You call a tank. We don't have tanks. We don't have. 
We're not militarized. Yeah, yeah, okay. What do you call? Well, see, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, yeah, you don't have a complaints department in this system. You never did have it. But, uh, yeah, you can still call them and give them peace of your mind. I mean, that's, I think that's a good thing to do. But it, will it go anywhere else? It just goes, goes into, yeah, rallying the, uh, circling the wagons or whatever you want to call it. And then it's like whatever you see presented to you and it's done by the so-called authority, then it must be okay. And, uh, they're not going to be open to any kind of criticism on that. But, um, Chris, I thought you thought all that was fake and stay. Yeah, but was that part real? I, 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 I tend to think so. I mean, look at the reactions of people and what went down. And I think that that facilitated the whole message that was going to be delivered to people and the whole Boston bombing, scaremongering festivities is that, uh, yeah, you have actual police and militarized police pointing guns at people for real. Yeah, I think, yeah, that for real could have happened. I mean, as a sideshow to the whole uh, theatrical production there. But, uh, you know, it's uh, Flat Earth Truth says, I think the government instructs its employees that guns are specifically made for pointing at toddlers. I, They certainly didn't seem like they had any reservations about pointing guns at toddlers and everybody else, old ladies. You point the fucking, you pointing the friggin' gun at a, at a toddler. I mean, yeah, I, that's elementary firearms handling is that you don't point a gun at people if, unless you're going to like shoot them because it happens all too frequently with firearms is that you, you can potentially have a accidental discharge, especially you going in locked and loaded and you have, you know, this hysteria happening. And then, you know, you got around in the chamber and the safety off and you go pointing at it, people. I don't know what they had around. Maybe they didn't have any rounds in the chamber. Maybe they were mock-up guns. I don't know. But what the, the presentation was, they're pointing guns at people like that. And then um, that's what was fed to you in your media. So, I mean, do you kind of, what do you do? You stand idly by and just accept that? Or I, I don't, I don't know. I, I had to make a phone call, but whatever. I mean, it's a pure insanity, but no, it is, uh, it is all for the most part, what you're going to be looking at on television, what you're going to be seeing in the news today. What did they had a bomb and go off in New Jersey? They had another bomb go off in New York, allegedly. I was talking to John a little bit earlier and he's saying, no, did you see that? And I said, no, I didn't see. I always get news secondhand. So like John tells me the news, people email me stuff that I find out about stuff because I don't have television and I don't go on the mainstream news outlets. So if somebody, I, I do go on YouTube pretty frequently. And so if somebody does a video about it, I'll catch it then. Uh, but, you know, there was drills going on at the same time. And good thing that we happened to have a drill at the same time because we were able to respond very rapidly. 
And, uh, of course, the news media doesn't make mention of the fact that during the uh, Boston bombing, there was a drill going on at the same thing at the same time. They don't mention the San Bernardino. There was a drill going on at the same time. Don't mention the Aurora shooting. There was a drill going on at the same time. Doesn't mention Sandy Hook. There was a drill going on down the road, real close to the city there at around the same time with involving children. They don't mention that uh, – during the whole WDBJ shooting, there was a drill going on at the same time. The people that were participating in the drill apprehended the so-called alleged suspect at the same time. They don't mention that um, the 7-7 uh, bus bombing in London, that there was a drill of the exact same scenario. And then Peter Peter Parker, not Peter Parker, Peter Powers came on BBC television and said, yeah, we had a drill going on at the same time. And it was just amazing that... Uh, the, the exact same thing happened as we were conducting the drill. The exact same thing that we were preparing for actually took place. So amazing and coincidence. And then you had that, and you had 9-11 with the drills, the able, the able danger or something. I don't know, the, the multiple drills going on with involving hijacked planes. That just so happens at the same time with NORAD and everybody else participating in drills at the same time. But, uh, yeah, you know, Alex Jones hit me to that, you know, I mean, years ago. Oh, the drills going on at the same time. You know, he talked about that during 9-11 and stuff like that. It's funny that I don't hear him talking about it too much anymore. Like, you know, from what I understand, he's talking about this recent thing now. And I don't even know he's bringing up the drills. Maybe he does. Maybe he does. I don't know. Like I said, I don't listen to him that much anymore. But, uh. I think that that is one of the most easily to demonstrate aspects of all this. It's the drills. I mean, uh, I have the video up. The it's, you, you want to check it out. It's hoaxbusterscall.com, and you can go look at the uh, link to the uh, YouTube videos where I have warning graphic content dot, 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 goes into the... Uh, Strategic operations group, and then they're into Hollywood style X, and then they train the military, and it's hyper realistic, and they show the uh, the prosthetics and stuff, the moulage, where the moulage is where they do the makeup and stuff, and it's hyper realistic, and, and they even have like blood feed tubes that shoots blood out of the wound and stuff, and you look at that stuff, and they're using amputees that people are you know had their limbs amputated. And then they put these prosthetics over the leg, and they got the leg, and they got the thing, and it's like, oh my gosh, that is, that is just about as real looking as it can possibly be. And then I just contrast it with the Boston bombing stuff, you know, and then, you know, it's like, uh, it, so you're getting in, again, the theater, you know, theater productions and stuff. And, uh, yeah, what was my point in bringing that up? Well, the, uh, the, the this whole thing with um yeah I lost my train of thought but anyway uh yeah just check that out and look at it and then you know make your own decision on what you believe or don't believe but uh yeah what we're dealing with is uh, uh I was bringing up the drills I'm sitting there trying to think what I was what I was going off on yeah the drills. So yeah, that's an example of higher, hyper realistic drills. And I, you know, of course, we've gone over this multiple times before in the past, but 
that's the kind of thing that the government is up to, and that's e- you know that's easily demonstrated. And the stuff is out there; it's public. And I put that video together with it public available, publicly available material. You know, Strategic Operations Group. We do Hollywood style training for the military, and boy, ain't it realistic looking. And they show the bombs going off in the hyper realistic training, which just so happens that Kraft International, you know, the black shirt with the khaki pants dudes that you saw at the Boston bombing, they just so happen to be all up in the middle of that uh, hyper realistic training. They, in fact, they specialize in it. And you look at the Boston bomb and it looks identical to the bombs they show on their hyper realistic training, just so happens. But then again, too, it's the drills always with the drills. And then this recent thing, it was like the drills going on to say, oh, my gosh, aren't we glad we had a drill going on so we can read. Oh, you had a drill going on again at the same time, just like all the other ones, huh? Just so happens. I mean, when does this end? I mean, when does this when does when do people catch on to this? You know, it's like certainly the media is not going to make an issue out of it even though they report it. And that's the amazing thing about it. It's like, I, I, I get this stuff from the, you know, where, where else do you get it? You get it, you know, report on the media. And well, also too, you can go into the official government sites, the HCEP and all that, where the, you know, the FEMA operations stuff are online. And there's been uh, people that have dug up stuff where it's, you know, they have the drill listed and then, Hey, it's the same day. And Hey, it's the same scenario and also make phone calls to uh I made a phone call to the Charleston police and I asked him about the drill and the guy kept going on on about Facebook yeah man I know you see stuff on Facebook yeah and I know you think there's conspiracies on the Facebook and people talk about all that stuff on Facebook I said dude it's on the official government site you got it listed the 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 the, the uh, shooting mass casualty shooting drill taking place at the same day that the Charleston shooting happened. What about it? And I said, you had the FBI right there on the scene, Johnny on the spot, lickety split. It's like, did that have anything to do with a drill? Just a question, just asking. I don't know what you're talking about. I, the Facebook has all kinds of cookies. It's like, not Facebook, man. It's not Facebook. It's on your site. It's on your you know, you're the government and it's the government site dot gov, the uh, site that I was addressing. I said, there it is. I said, you had the FBI there, right? Yeah, but, you know, that's not conspiracy. Drills go on all the time. They happen all the time. We got FBI everywhere all the time. It's like, yeah, really. They're everywhere all the time doing drills everywhere, but you don't see them or hear about it. Until it's in, until the, you, you see this, every time it's a drill, every time it's a drill. Yep, every time it's a drill. At the same time, happening at the same time. I mean, come on. But, uh, yeah, do you, you call up the people directly involved and they just downplay it? Like, oh, well, yeah, drills are going on all the time. So it's no, oh, of the same thing. Well, no. I'll have to take that back. Not exactly the same thing. So when I called Aurora, there was a there was a university in the area that were participating in this drill, active shooter drill at a movie theater at the same time that the Aurora, that the Aurora Theater just so happens to be doing a drill uh, about a shooting in a movie theater. And but see, no, 
it was a rock concert in a movie theater is what he corrected me on. So it's like, oh, no, no, it wasn't a shooting. It was a shooting at a rock concert that happened to take place inside a movie. It's like, oh, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? When does a rock concert take? But anyway, rock concert and movie theater. Okay, whatever, dude. But it's like, you know, isn't that curious that the drills are happening at the same time, sir? What do you what say you about that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. They don't know. They turn into just deaf, dumb mutes, you know, when you when you ask them a pertinent question. They don't know shit. But, you know, it, 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 quite a contrast to what you typically run into with these people, which, like, they know everything. They're basically godlike status, and they get to rule you and tell you what to do. You ask them a pertinent question, and it's like, it's a total 180 degree shift over to a totally different person. Once like, I don't know nothing. Why are you asking me? I'm a, just a dumb guy working here and I don't understand any of that. And I don't, why you're making a big, why would you make a issue of that? What do you even mean? I don't even understand what you mean by uh, drills. What are you drills? I, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm just some guy and work. I just do this job. I'm just working and that's it. I don't know. It's like, Oh, you're a totally different dude than I typically run into out here on the street and everywhere else. Jack boots right up on me and pull me over no seatbelt. They, they know every goddamn thing in the world and every law and everything. You better do what the hell they say. And they're in charge, buddy. And they have every right to do what they do. And I'm just doing, I'm doing my job. I'm proud of my job. And, you better by God do what I tell you, and you better by God show up in court. And they know all this stuff, but then you, you ask them just a question about that, and they they don't have any opinion on anything. They don't know anything. They're just some lowly, uh, just part of a cog in the wheel, and they don't know nothing. It's just yeah, quite the contrast. I guess I'll just point that out. Um. Dot 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 dot. Yeah. On um hoaxbusterscall.com I got a couple of posts. So we'll come on to I'll take callers here in about uh 15 minutes. Um so yeah, if you're holding the if you're holding then yeah, please be patient. Um thought I saw somebody, uh, two caller inners. Now we got one caller in her waiting, but uh, yeah, get, get with you here. Um, hoaxposterskull.com. I got a couple of posts I wanted to bring up. Um, the, yeah, the 1998 Osama bin Laden interview. That's the old news to a lot of people, but, uh, it's just quite amusing how a lot of this stuff, the the proof of the invalid nature and the idiocy, you know, where you're presented with something that is just totally disconnected from everything else that you're told about this Osama bin Laden character. Oh, he's this elusive, wanted man that is responsible for these bombings. And he was wanted, you know, then in 1998, before the, even before the trade tower horseshit. 
but this this uh John Miller guy from ABC News could could find him and interview him, but the FBI can't. I mean, are are I I. Are people that retarded? Uh, where they where they where they can't see through this propaganda? I, I mean, does that make any damn sense? He's wanted by the FBI, so the FBI would be looking for him, right? And they would use whatever means at their disposal to track him down. Because he's he's wanted for some pretty heavy duty crimes, right? Blowing up a barracks in uh, was it Beirut or whatever he was alleged to have been a participant in or headed up as a mastermind of all these terror terror. But John Miller found him, had a little chit chat with him, and had a news crew there and everything else. Just absolutely absurd, right there in your face. I mean, how out of it is the average person? I mean, that's further proof of that. I don't know how much more proof you need, but there it is. And then I have this uh, video. This is a United Nations uh, press conference thing, but... uh. Basically, they're just going on about how, yeah, the U.S. is currently now in the process of invading Syria. There is no civil war, and it's like, the yeah, America's, yeah, yeah, invading Syria. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Did I miss it where we declared war on Syria or that we were supposed to be at war with Syria? I, I don't, I don't remember that, but apparently, according to this, we're, we were in and you know, I yeah, is that going on? I probably did they, did they even bother even making any pretense of even declaring war or going through any emotions? No, emotions of it, no, just do it. And, um, well, according to this, if this can be believed, but I'm, I don't know, I'm not there, but uh, it certainly is something to look at. I mean, because it's. You know, what are these people just pulling this out of their ass or what are they saying? But it's like, mm, no, nah, probably, yeah, yeah, we're invading Syria. Why not? Does anybody care? I don't know. Um, and just keep in mind, too, that we're coming up into this 2016 election, right? And uh, I've brought this up before that. Barack Hussein Obama was elected with a uh, mandate to put a stop to the war. And then also they had the uh, midterm elections, which was a which was presented as by the from the media as a mandate to end the wars because the the Democrats took control on the anti-war position. And so the voice of the people was heard. On those two elections, subsequent two back-to-back elections, and and there, then it was declared that there's an anti-war mandate. That means that there's a clear-cut um, there's a clear-cut, unequivocal 
message being sent to Washington that we wanted to put an end to the wars and the majority of the people had spoken and that is what resulted in Barack Hussein Obama being elected president and then the Democrats taking control of uh, the House and Senate, I believe, in the uh, midterms in 2010. I, if I'm not uh, mistaken on that, I do recall hearing about that. And uh, but we are not only did not we get out of the wars, not only are we still in Iraq, from what I understand, and and, and uh, to some extent also still in Afghanistan, we're also now invading Syria. So, uh, yeah, what about it? What about democracy? What about uh, voting? Uh, 2016, is your vote going to count? Well, that depends on what you mean. Is somebody going to count a vote somewhere? Yeah, but what is it going to result in? It's going to result in zero results on anything. Because they're going to do what they want to do. They're going to do what they... They don't even have to tell you that they're... We're, we're, we're doing all this expenditure and outlay of cash and personnel and lives on the line and everything to go in and get all up into serious business and to invade and occupy them. And we don't have to tell the people that we're doing it. It's just absolutely astounding. If You don't need any more proof than the, the whole election... And voting thing is a total 100% waste of time. I don't know what could else could convince you than this. But uh, it's just so over the top. It's just absolutely in your face. And there it is. And you want to go vote? Waste your time. Waste your time. Just totally waste your time. It's not going to do a damn thing. Is it, you know, well, what do we do? It's like, I would say we have to start telling the truth and we ha we have to start at least speaking when we speak of these issues we have to frame it within reality uh, that that would be a good start and there is nothing real about politics nothing about the system the political system or voting or anything there's nothing real about it it's theater and that's the theme on the call as I'm speaking tonight is it's theater. It's all theater. It's theater. Uh, the uh, royals still run things. The the old entrenched uh, oligarchies of the past are the are the are the oligarchies of the day. They never change. They just change the presentation of their little donkey cart. They put a different coat of paint on it, and they rolled it back out, and everybody said, that's a new donkey cart. Everybody gather around and buy the turnips, rotten turnips or whatever they're selling out of that fucking thing with flies swirling around it and everything. It's like, damn, these taste like the same rotten-ass turnips that came out of the other donkey cart. It's like, yeah, you know, John, you're right, but this is a new donkey cart, and by God, we're going to worship it. Because it's, it's new, you know. It's a new. That's a, that. That's what we we're introduced to. The you know so-called United States. It's like, oh, it's a new thing. The powdered wig men invented a new government, and they wrote some shit down on parchment. And now this is the uh, law forever. 
the nobles. Oh, well, you know, let's don't ask how they they got to be nobles. Let's not ask like how is it how is it nobility in the United States when the United States is not even a country. Let's don't ask any of those. Just just yeah. Follow the new donkey cart around to wherever it's leading us. Which brings up another thing I was going to go into briefly. It's about uh, all this mass immigration that's taking place all around the world. And uh, I brought this up before. I think I'll bring it up again because I think it's uh, pertinent because like a lot of people, especially around this this so-called election thing, is like a big issue with all this because people are pointing out that, hey, maybe it's not so good to have like, you know, this huge influx of uh, third worlders coming into the Western uh, established areas and uh, looking for work when there's already kind of a, you know, de- depressed economic economic situation in the United States and Europe and stuff like that. It's just maybe not a good to try to simulate all these people. Maybe it's not a good idea. Well, okay. For one thing, you don't have a say in this. You absolutely do not have any say in this whatsoever. You think Donald Trump is going to put a wall up? You 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 got a, a goddamn wall around your fucking brain right now. That's what you have. That's the only wall that exists, and it and it's it's a strong wall and it's thick. And you're having a god a hard damn time dealing with it because you that's what you got. You, you're not going to have a wall, and it's not going to stop any immigrants, and it's not going to change anything. That's that's a fact. That's just a that's just a. It, how do I know? Because it it's just it, I just know. Donald Trump, give me a break. I mean, come on. I mean, get out of here. He, he's a wrestler. He's he not a wrestler. You know, he he was in wrestling. He's a showman. He was actually literally on the WWF hitting people over the head with folding chairs. I mean, that's, and he looked pretty serious then too. He looked pretty mean. He looked pretty serious and he was acting and he's acting now. Don't make no mistake. He's a dilettante. He's a, he's a, he's in the theater. He's a aristocratic class that dabbles around in theatrics and shit. He's not a self-made man by any definition of what that means he's he's a he's a child of the aristocracy and he dabbles around in theater and all this other shit he probably wears tutus in his private life and into all kinds of debauchery and all kinds of other nonsense and he's that's how they fill up their day with you know pulling hoodwinks on people he's one of those and we just got through describing them and who they are you know uh he's not going to build a wall for fuck's sake um but what is happening so you know, you got the conditions going on in, in the so-called United States where, we're, you know, you're seeing the, you know, pushing out of any kind of distinct identifying culture. And then, you know, it, it happens on all multiple levels of music with your, you know, shopping decisions, stuff you go and it's everything's a big box monoculture. Now you go to shopping everywhere across the landscape. It's all going into monoculture that means it's sameness sameness the fast food drive by a hyper consumerist everything is centered around consumerism and that's how we uh get to our identity and our self-esteem is by having a good job you get, get upwards in mobility in the consumerist culture and that's how you get your identity and you salute the flag and you buy uh coca-cola at walmart that's in a goddamn wtc complex uh presentation 
Oh, get your Coca-Cola. Remember, never forget. Remember to never forget your Coca-Cola. And, your, and it's configured like the effing Twin Towers, for freak's sake. And then that's that's your, you know, consume everything. Even 9-11 is a consumer platform to sell shit. And then the people got so uptight over that mattress, which I thought was, I, I don't know. Are they Masons putting on theatrics? Probably. MM Miracle Mattress, MM Master Mason, and you flip, I think you can flip the M on its side and you get 33 and all that. Was that, was there's a Masonic pageantry? Probably. Uh, but people got so uptight. How, how dare you? Which, uh, actually they have a point. Cause that's, I mean, whether 9-11 real, whatever, it's like, that's, that's really just in super disgusting poor taste to do something like that. No doubt. But, um, what was I saying? It's like the, the, uh, consumer's culture is what I'm talking about. And that's what defines so-called Western cultures. Like everything you do is fixated and centered around the, you know, big spending, you know, oh, you have a wedding. Well, what kind of wedding? Who's going to cater? It's like, yeah, it's a big spending spree and it's the industry around, you know, it's, services weddings there's an industry that services halloween it's a big spin it's a big the people spend more on halloween than they do on christmas now it's like but every event is what i'm saying is centered around consumerism it's a consumerist culture it's a it's a secular humanist you know you have you have trappings of references to religion but you don't have any kind of substance to any of it it's secularist it's not it's not uh Nothing in our activities is, uh, uh, religiously motivated. Like you'll see with the uh, Muslim cultures, it's like, oh, they have some kind of religious spiritual significance to what their activities and they actually fast and do stuff like that where they fast, they don't eat and they have those rituals are based on spiritual beliefs, but not, not America. It's based on consumerism. So how much, how much of a show can you put on by how much money you can spend and, you know, you can have your, friends and entertain them over and you have all this outlay of all this uh gigas and fruit chews and gummy bears and shit is whatever you you just went all out and you spent a shit ton of money and that's what it's all about um that culture is what i'm talking about and that's been you know we've been indoctrinated into this culture and it's it's all, it's all about making you a more productive working slave and you know, you, you could go get your China, China manufactured slave baubles bo- as your reward. And that's how you define yourself. And that's how you define your worth and stuff and how much stuff you can accumulate and afford to pay for. And your value in society, everything's predicated on this. They have shows about like we talked about this before. Jay was on the call about, uh, 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 bridezillas, bridezillas on the, on the thing. I was like, oh, she's upset because her, her shit ain't all laid out like she wanted it no, it's, uh, it's all material shit right um yeah materialism it's just promoted heavily promoted so you know when you talk about these immigrants uh i've talked about this before i lived in a uh neighborhood that was predominantly hispanics and many of them had um were were born in mexico and had come over and set up shop there in that neighborhood and uh what you can observe is that 
you know, they have their own sort of ideas about doing things like you'll like in they're for the most part, pretty family centered. Like a, there was a nearby park and they have pecan trees and you'd see like families going around picking up pecans off the ground. And like, that's not American thing to do. That's the, that's the, that's, that's first generation Mexican thing. The Hispanics, they, they, and they do it in family groups. They get a little kid and a little boy and the mom and dad all out there together getting pecans. That's, 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 that comes out of Mexico. That ain't, that ain't from United States. Nobody, nobody will pick a damn apple off. It, I, I was talking about this before. I was at a health food store as I, when I was visiting out in San Diego. And, uh, so I, I bought some oranges when I was in there and I walked out and there was like, a tree in the planted out in the parking lot with really some nice looking oranges growing out there in the parking lot. So I snagged a couple of those. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, why don't people just grab these? I mean, they're right there. Didn't say not to. There were no signs that don't pick the oranges. Like you got orange trees growing all over the place in California, but you go into the store and buy them. I mean, now if you go into Mexican, predominantly Mexican areas where they're predominantly first generation Mexicans, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll pick fruit off trees. They're not, they're not, that's not something that's foreign to them. But the first, why I'm bringing this all this up is like now their children. So when they have children and their children are brought up in this, you know, consumerist culture and then they get their, you know, iPads and computers, or they get them at store, or they go to their friend's house and have those, and they say, hey, let's watch Britney Spears. Okay, let's watch, what does she do? And then he watches, they brought Britney Spears, and they watch the thing, and they got the, uh, all this messages being communicated to these young, young men and women. And what's going to happen? They're going to grow up, and they're going to be thoroughly indoctrinated in, by way of the weaponized culture to be a good, consumer producer working slave that is primarily concerned about the accumulation of uh, material objects and will define their value and self-worth off of mainly you know how much money can you spend and uh just like every other good american does and then you know they'll adopt and assimilate into the culture and that's what's going to happen in europe that's what's going to happen in uh the you know germany and in switzerland and everywhere else where they're saying that they have all these uh, muslim immigrants and it's causing a big problem and we got muslim immigrants now coming to the united states and they're coming to europe and they want to set up sharia law and fuck our whole good american way of life over and it's like that's not what's going to happen man they're going to assimilate first generation watch I mean, you're, it's like when I was living in that neighborhood, I already saw it. Like what, what are the teenagers that have been born and raised in the United States? What are they, what are they into? Well, they're, 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 their first order of business is to get some kind of a car and then they lower it and then they play mainly rap music and they drive around and they have the, all the, um, you know, accoutrements of, the uh video uh rap video rock video culture of hip hop ghetto um infused identity of the sort of uh 
Well, I mean that that identity, that that thing, that um, that distinctly American gangster rap ethos and uh, aesthetic that they adopt, and then um, you know to have your bling bling and your and your rims and all the accoutrements uh, around it, you either get into some sort of gang banging activity, or I don't think that that's too typical. I think that that is to a degree somewhat. But then, um, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, Mexican people are industrious and they don't mind hard work and stuff like that. And that's still in them in the first generation. They'll go out and get jobs to support their bling bling and their whatever it is. And, uh, they'll be good working slaves for the system and they'll adopt and assimilate into the culture, so-called culture, because the culture is weaponized. It's a weaponized culture. Uh, and then what happens too is that the uh, transplants still have their home connections and then they bring the DVDs, they bring the music, they bring the stuff back to their homes where they originated from and they introduce their uh, extended families to the westernized culture, the, the, the uh, movies, televisions, music, so on. And that is what is happening. That's you're seeing the uh, dissemination of the uh, American monoculture being disseminated out into the wider world, and this is how it gets um, moved along so that it happens quicker. Is like you have this Im- immigrant, so they create like a uh, economic low pressure system, just like they can manipulate the weather, and that causes the the migration of people into other areas and it's all contrived it's all set up how how is it happening in here and in europe at the same time it's all coordinated obviously and that's what it's designed to do it's designed not to <laughs> implement sharia law in the united states that's absurd it never fly i mean but uh that's not the goal anyway like what what would, what would the point of that be you know, it's like they don't want to make us more conservative. They want to make us more uh, engage in more debauchery and more sexual liberation, so-called, and uh, further break down family and stuff like that so that the state can step in and be the parent. And uh, or, you know, it already is a parent. It can expand its role into like uh, even further by way of all that. But uh that that's what's happening. I don't know. I keep hearing about this, so I gotta throw my two cents in there about it. You know, like this is the big concern nowadays is the immigration thing and and it's a big talking point on the uh so called selection elections. And uh but um are you going to vote and change the situation that's happening right now with the dissemination of the United States monoculture across the world, across the planet, which is obviously the, as far as I'm concerned is the goal. And that's why they're bringing in immigration is what this, so they can assimilate into the culture and then they could just, they can transfer it out to their homeland and, uh, and then adopt all the social mores of the, uh, Western culture and bring it back to their homeland. Yeah, that's, that's what's going on. That's what's been going on. It's just getting ramped up now. It's just getting it's just getting more pronounced and in your face and more um, overt 
but it's something that's been underway for quite some time. It's not not really new. You're just seeing a uh, escalation, I should say, of of all of this in 2016. But uh, yeah, that's what it's about. It's about uh, worldwide culture, which was what the United States was designed to do from the very inception, I believe. And there's other stuff that kind of bears that out, you know, in, in these certain writings about, uh, you know, from Freemasons and other people. It's like, yeah, this is the uh, future culture of the world. The uh, worldwide monoculture that uh, is going to be um, global, the global estate. Uh, the final push for empire, I guess, or however you want to characterize it. And that's how it's going to go down. You don't bring the mountain to Muhammad, you bring the Muhammad to the mountain. You know, you bring the immigrants into the, uh, westernized brainwashing apparatus, which is our wider culture, and then they get, uh, bathed in it. And then they raise the first generation up that's completely immersed in it from birth and then they and they will not resemble their uh parents and they'll be um a distinct different entity when it's all over with but um no they're not going to bring conservative religious muslim ideas into the western world and then have them stick no that's 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 not what's going on but, uh, all right, well, I'm going to play the bumper, and then we'll bring in uh, Jane of All Trades, 007. for listening to the Hoax Busters Call. You can join the discussion by dialing area code 724-444-7444. Caller ID 90337. Hoax Busters, 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 out of lot in Oklahoma, by the way. That's where I live. That's where I have the base operations here. And uh, did I mention my name is Chris? I think I did. I don't know. I usually do. Sometimes I don't. But uh, we got a caller in her. And uh, let's see. Jane of all trades, 007. How's it going? 
Hey, Chris. I'm actually just um, listening while I'm cleaning, preparing for in-laws. But my only way of calling in or listening was by calling in. So I'll comment another time, but not tonight. Oh, okay, great. Well, uh, yeah, thanks for okay. listening. And thank um, you. <laughs> yeah, if you wanna if you wanna chime in, just hit uh, star eight, and I'll bring you on if if you wanna chime in on something. So uh, yeah, thanks for uh, tuning in, and I'll uh, put you back on hold. I don't see anybody else calling in. What else? What else? Did I even give a quote or did I not give a quote or did I give a quote? Did I give a quote? I read something. Was it a quote? Scoop. Doop, 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 doop. I might as well give a quote. I'm stalling for time here. Um, oh, well, I just read this. I got a bunch of different ones here. I've just got to go down through the list of quotes. I pulled this out of Jay's article about the uh, educational system, and that's at hoaxbusterscall.com. You should check that out. This is from uh, attributed to G. Stanley Hall. He said that both reading and writing are taught too early. Reading and writing as processes are artificial and uneducational in themselves. That's interesting. Reading and writing as processes are artificial and uneducational in themselves. They're taught too early, according to G. Stanley Hall. Is that true? Um, probably. They're not, uh, they're artificial. Oh, that's definitely true, right? You're not born with a uh, number two pencil behind your ear. That would be uncomfortable for your mother, for one thing. But um, no, that is not natural, is it? Reading and writing. Now, it's something that we take for granted in the so-called modern civilization era. But is it natural? Is it normal? Like, what does it do to the mind? I mean, does it set you up for just purely linear thinking? I, I think so, maybe. It, it, it kind of re, as your, your, uh, gray matter is kind of being formulated and your synapses are making connections at that young age, about the age they get you into school. They start you out like five years old or something, five or six years old, and your brain is still formulating, and they're forcing you to concentrate on learning the alphabet. And then the next thing you know, you're trying to write letters, and then you know, write you know, um, write the letters of the alphabet, and then um, reading, and then all of that. Like a real young age, your mind is still developing. Like, what does that do as far as shaping your mind? That's really interesting because I wonder about that stuff. It's like, does, does it really like, um, uh, rewire your brain somehow? Probably. But what, what discernible effect does learning to read and write have on the brain? Is it good? Um, I, I don't know. We're always to assume, I guess, that it's good, right? But is that the case? Let's ask, uh, East Maryland. 
and bring them on. Hoaxbusters call. How you doing, East Maryland? Hey, Chris. Chris? Yes. Is this? It, uh, uh, I'm having a hard time hearing you. I'm wondering if you can um, either uh, make an adjustment somehow. You're real low. I'm yeah, how's I'm turning that now? you up in the headphones, but I'm maxed out can you, on can volumes. You pick, can you pick it up now? Yeah, you're uh, still, uh, let me try to make an adjustment on... Uh, da, da, oh, okay. Yeah. I might. It might just be a, you know, I got Verizon here, so how about now? Yeah, that's a little better. I could do something here on my end. I'm just trying to find where this is, where I can um, put a volume boosting nodule in here. Oh, my gosh. Didn't mean to do that. Um, Talk about complexity. Yeah, I got a lot going on over here. Yeah, you're you're ready to ask. Now I can be good. Hey, Chris, don't take offense, but you're like you're regular Adam Curry with that stuff, huh? <laughs> well, I don't know right? about you've that. Become, you've, be- you've become a regular uh, techno geek on 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 that kind of stuff. Huh? Well, you got to be to some extent, I guess. To yeah, to- you guys are. I mean, the people that are doing this stuff and and doing it well are uh, they're a new generation of radio. They've redefined the meaning of radio. You know. So. Yeah, it's kind of not something that is fully developed yet, I guess, at this point, because podcasting and all that is still relatively new on the scene. Yeah, what you mean by that is they haven't figured out how to keep it contained and controlled entirely while still using it to monitor the population. But you're right. You're right about that. Yeah. Because why would they have allowed us access to this technology, you know, to hear this content? And in particular, the broadcast that uh, you and uh, I guess it was John did on 9/11's anniversary, you know, in lieu of the weekly show. Which uh, now I listened. God, I just listened. I have listened to so many countless hours of uh, podcast radio talking about 9 You know, all all <laughs> you know all about 9/11. And uh, I have to say, of all of the uh, all of the broadcasts that were done on this 15th anniversary, that discussion that you had on the afternoon commute was, without question, the, the best, the best, best quality in terms of. And I'm not saying I agreed with everything that was said either, but I'm just saying the, the depth. It really is. It sufficed for someone to listen to that few hours to pretty much begin to understand what 9-11 was about and digest it and, be, and learn, begin to learn to live with it in a sort of, a, dare I use the word, word uh, normalcy bias on a day-to-day basis to kind of digest it and put it in perspective. I thought the discussion was brilliant. And I have, oh, and I know, and I know you guys are, you know, you're, you're jaundiced, you are in particular kind of jaundiced and jaded about the, the so-called truth movement. And you're probably right. I still harbor these, uh, I don't know, I guess, I don't know. I'm maybe I'm just reliving the the 60s and the 70s, the early 70s in my head, and maybe all that was engineered too. That's a whole other discussion. The engineering of the 60s rebellion. How that went? Yeah, down. I went into look uh, looking into some of the stuff surrounding Altamont after oh, we kind of delved rolling. into that a little bit on uh, that uh, discussion we had. Yeah, I can and, tell you uh, how Altamont. I can tell you how. 
how Altamont played to me in 1969 as a college freshman, deeply immersed in, in the radical movement in New York City. It's oh, a really? Barn. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, You're saying you were deeply immersed? Yes. Yes, I wasn't were a big Were you a 60s job. radical? Late, I, I, came, I graduated from high school in June of 1969 and, and was already had organized uh, – I was involved with the Catonsville Nine here in Baltimore as a high school student, so I was already thoroughly radicalized at that point. Although, you know, it didn't have a particularly left-wing cast. It was more of a, you know, like we were originally recruited by these uh, the Berrigan brothers, Father Phil and Father Father Joe, Philip, a brilliant Jesuit, and I'm sorry, uh, Daniel. Uh, you know, I'm 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 kind of I'm having a senior. Night, so you have to excuse me. Daniel and Philip Berrigan. Father Dan was a Jesuit. And Father Philip was a Josephite. And Sister Elizabeth McAllister. These are the people who broke into the draft board offices in Catonsville, right up the road from me. <laughs> you know, literally a stone's throw from me. And and torched and also poured, I guess, chicken blood over the draft records and, and took pictures of it and movies. In those days, we didn't have video yet, but we had, you know. And broadcast did this event publicly, and were subsequently arrested and brought to federal tri- federal trial right there in downtown Baltimore. And we organized massive demonstrations in support of them and everything else. So I was part of that echelon of young people in this area who were recruited to the anti-war movement by these Catholic uh, activists and other things. I mean, I don't want to say it wasn't entirely a cult thing obviously we were watching everything that was happening on the on the news on the tv about the vietnam war god i don't want to probably bore people to death if i start talking about this really we should well, it's an interesting time in history the whole vietnam war era and all that but um yeah, but you talk about something that's just totally well, yeah, let me, manipulated. Yeah, let me, let, I mean, to the nth right. degree, that was it. And then, you know, that Altamont thing, and, you know, the more you look into that, you say that's a oh, stage-contrived thing. Right. Altamont, yeah, I mean, like, put... I was listening to the interviewing uh, different people. This is, like, within the weeks after Altamont, and it was on some radio program, and they're bringing up all the... The situation there with the, okay, Hell's Angels, and I, I think, like, most people listening to these calls and stuff or understand this, is like, when, when you're talking about an organization like Hell's Angels, you're talking about, I mean, the way I look at them is, like, they're either, like, so, so Sonny Barger, the guy that heads up the um, California well, okay. chapter don't, 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 of Los right, Angeles, of Hell's <laughs> Angels, like, um, it, it, I was just looking up some information on him, and then you type in... uh Oh well, he was he a fed? I don't know if anything that would bear that out. It's like, you know, it doesn't mean he wasn't working for him on some level or whatever. But um, probably more than likely a Freemason. I mean, I, it, you know that that kind of goes with the turf. But well, that would be incidental. That would be incidental to a member of a motorcycle club like the Hell's Angels. I can speak with greater knowledge about the local motorcycle gangs right up the road from me. The uh, pagans and the warlocks. Actually, the warlocks are more of a Delaware, Pennsylvania, but the pagans definitely dominated, were very big. We used to run into them regularly up in the parking lot and stuff, and they often supplied us with some of the best, some of the finest stuff came from the pagans. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and they were just, 
uh, a lot of these guys were military vets, to tell you the truth. They were Vietnam vets who came back, and they, you know, they got kind of scroungy looking, and they wore these denim vests, and that was it, you know. <laughs> over. Yeah. Well, I know a guy that um, he worked. He he was uh, undercover cop for thirty years, and then um, when when uh, he um, was with the motorcycle gangs as an undercover cop. But um, for for years, well, you, know. you know, you know what that and, is. You um, almost, and if you think remorse. about these gangs, it's like, uh, and it's just some guy I know from you know uh, worked with them, uh, you know, and then he, he brought all that up, and it's like, yeah, I mean that's something that's standard, you know. And you talk about any kind of gang, you know, period. You're going to have like uh, a, a certain percentage, probably a pretty high percentage in the case of Hell's Angels that are either you know cops or feds. And so when you're talking about so, something like Altamont, you know, like, you know, and the way that all went down, it's like that that was a stage managed event. That was a big that was a big deal. I mean, you don't think they knew what they were doing when they brought in, you know, so-called Hell's Angels and then their whole reputation. And the whole thing was like a uh, set up from the very beginning to, to go off like it went off. I mean, it was obvious that it, the whole thing was um, stage managed and contrived. I mean, that's what it looked like to me. And then, you know, yeah, you're getting these these people in there that are and, and I think that, you know, there was really um, some ass beatings that took place with Hell's Angels. I mean, that's what. They're, but see, they're like like we see today and we see it all the time with these provocateurs that show up at these, um, you know, riots and uh, not riots, but demonstrations, they call them and stuff like that. And there'll be these like provocateurs and some of them will be so blatantly fucking obvious with their crew cuts and their posture and all that. It's like, that's the fucking feds are all over the place. And it's like, yeah, they're always at these events, you know, and like hell's angels and that thing would have been no different. And, and then, you know, what, what do they do? And I think the, the, uh, the killing of, um, th that guy, uh, uh, um, what was his name? Uh, the, the black gentleman that allegedly was killed, and then, you know, he doesn't have a burial plot or a grave marker and all that. You know, and then George Lucas was on the scene filming. I mean, come on. It's all, it's all theater. And, uh, it, and, and why that I, another thing I think that bears that out, that, that interpretation of all that is that, um, is the way that was handled and the way it went down in history is sort of the end of the hippie movement, right? This is the end of the hippie movement. This is like, you know, the, the, a failed experiment to where, yo, can you get people gathered together and have them coexist peacefully without, you know, the government involved? Because that was what supposedly that was the theme because Mick Jagger didn't want any cops there. Well, OK, well, we'll make it a point. We're not going to. Well, we'll have the Hells Angels instead and have them do security. And it's like, well, the, half of them are cops. So forget about it. They're already, you know, but that was the theme. The whole thing about it was like, oh, well, you know, we're. You know, we're tired of the wars. We're tired of the thing. We're having an alternative. This hippie movement represented sort of this alternative culture and stuff like that. And then, and then Altamont is where it fell. It fell flat. It failed. And it was like all of it was theater from beginning to end. It was like it, it was all played out by certain, you know, not not saying that there wasn't hippies or people involved that truly believed in what they were. All, that whole thing was supposedly about. But. I mean, the way that a whole thing played out from beginning to end was just, just theater. I'm convinced. Well, the way, uh, 
I guess I have to ask now, which Altamont are we talking about? Are we talking about what actually happened? Are we talking about the immediate way it was reported to me <laughs> and others, my contemporaries, who all taught knew and you know we read and we knew and we we read the account in Rolling Stone. We read everybody, you know, that was mostly where we read the account in the Rolling Stone, the L.A. Free Press, the East Village Other, you know, the Village. I mean, I, you know, we read we read all the popular accounts at the time, and then there's the movie that was made from it, which I believe is called is the movie that was made called Sympathy for the Devil, or is it called Altamont? One way or another, a movie was made about it, and that is, of course, the official canonical account of what happened. So we have really have three versions of what happened. Me, who who sort of lived through the telling of it, you know, the movie, which is the official account that future generations will see, unless that movie is altered, and what might have actually happened. Are oh, you talking about Give Me Shelter, right? Yeah. Um. Okay. It's a documentary. It was about the whole thing. Got it. Okay. So it was not called Altamont, but it was about Altamont. It was essentially the film of that concert. But, uh, yes, it, to, to put this in context, it, I'm trying to decide whether it happened after the man. I think it, ha- it was very closely coupled with the coverage of the Manson, the Charles Manson murders in allegedly in, uh, California, you know, around the same time as, as you say, as the Herald is the death of the flower. Yeah, power, yeah, that's another good whole, thing to bring flower in culture, the you know. And and the thing, know. and also simultaneous with it was the the split in students for a democratic society. I attended the convention where that occurred, and that was engineered by Cointelpro operatives, FBI Cointelpro operatives, and actually Ford Foundation operatives mostly. To tell you the truth, the FBI really didn't – the FBI could would plant drugs on people and do stuff like that. But the people who really busted up that controlled these organizations was like the foundation types, the NGO types, and the, and the, some of the more celebrity people at the top. So you also had the and, – and at that point, you had the creation of the Weather, under, weather Underground, as it was called, originally the Weatherman. Borrowed from a lyric and Bob – from Bob Dylan, Subterranean Homesick Blues. I mean, you want all of your listeners probably familiar with this, right? It's like I'm like, you know what I feel like as I talk about this? I feel like I'm up in an attic somewhere with all this dust, and I'm picking up an object, saying, "What is this?" Like blowing the dust off and getting the dust in my eyes. That's how I feel talking about this now. Because, say, if you look at like. Like take nine eleven now, like I say, you guys, you did this amazing <laughs> deconstruction of nine eleven, the semiotics, the whole thing, the implications on the anniversary, and I've like, God, I've circulated. I know I circulated it maybe about a couple dozen, <laughs> definitely links to it, insisting that people lit- that it, it's telling people, you know, maybe you're over nine eleven. Actually, mostly to people in the so-called nine eleven truth activist community. A lot of them celebrity names that you would be quite familiar with, you know, mm-hmm. uh, people like Fetzer and Barbara Honiger, you know, all the all the names. But mm-hmm. also, and uh, also in the white nationalist uh, broadcast community, which has some pretty, you know, very, uh, I think, highly successful people in terms of gaining an audience who need to pay more attention to fakeology and and uh, hoaxbusters and uh, 
And maybe if they are really curious about 9-11, they should go on over to clues, to September clues. And, you know, if they, you understand what I'm saying? Depending on, on how, how important that is to them. You know, a lot of people, they don't care about the instrumentality of 9-11. They already know that the media was, has been controlled. So you wouldn't have to, you know what I'm saying? They'd be preaching to the choir. Right. But, but I put your discussion out there because I feel it's almost like the, you know, if you're going to put it in, a, if you're going to stock a time capsule with, well, what was this really about? That discussion would perfectly suit the bill, would meet the meet the, meet the specifications of that requirement perfectly, in my opinion. <laughs> you know, so I just want to pay tribute to that. Um, oh, yeah, thanks. I mean, uh, why well, it it it's hard to kind of. Because you really have to kind of distance yourself from the, the, you know, surrounding, uh, boxes that, you know, that we're always kept in, you know, mentally. And then kind of step out and look at things in a, you know, from, from a wider perspective or vantage point so that, you know, it could, it can make better sense of, you know, to make better sense of it. And then whatever, you know, you know, accept the interpretation or not, but. Yeah, nine eleven as a uh, as um, I, I think it, it it could fall into the category, and, and I've heard it you know described different ways, but I've never really have it described as like an infomercial because I I think that would be something that could help people better understand like what what it actually was in reality. Um, and then not even getting into the debate about how many people died or whether anybody died or what. I mean, but the, the fact remains that, you know, you're looking at something that is like a sale. It, it's, it's more or less a sales pitch. And what is it, what is it trying to sell you? It's trying to sell you not, not, not necessarily a product, even though there are products attached, you know, like, you know, uh, security systems and, you know, scan, scanning apparatus at airport, whatever that came out of all this, all this industry that came out of this thing. But, um, what, what it is a sales pitch for, uh, I think primarily on a, on the surface level is just, you know, more, more, um, government, this thing called government, you know, I mean, even though it's, it's an abstraction, like I say, and it's not, it's a social construct, it's not anything real, but it's like it, it, it is, it is like, um, you know, govern the, government, you know, control the mind. And I think that's a proper breakdown of the word government. But, um, what, what does that do? It's like, well, you know, rain, you know, fear, terror, and then problem, reaction, solution. And then what is the solution? It's like, well, you know, pay more deference to your government. And then what does that even mean? Well, it's, it's when you're presented with somebody that's identified as this government, um, as part of this representative of this thing called government, then you, you give them more deference because like they showed you in the, in the movie, the nine 11 movie, it's like, the first responders, right? And it had a lot of emphasis on that. And I've, I touched on that earlier in the call here. It's the first responders. And they kept repeating that kind of like a mantra. Like then that became sort of part of the everyday people's vernacular. But it's like, what, what is that really? What are you really talking about? We're talking about the firefighters, right? The police, the people, the representative of the, of the government, like si- sacrifice themselves in this ritualistic manner. Uh, a very public religious matter where they run into the building to save the lives in the building, 
come crashing down on them. And that was the whole part of the drama and everything, you know, the first responders. And then they were sort of like, um, not sort of, but like kind of overtly deified, like these, the, the, the savior figures. And, um, that was like the, the big part of the theme. And then what did we see subsequently after 9-11? We saw the massive expansion of uh, this thing called government where, you know, you had more and more more people identify themselves as, you know, this thing called government or, or part of it or a bureaucrat or whatever with with the expansion of all these new agencies that cropped up. And then all these new industries that were spun off of this that re, to, to a large degree, remolded and reshaped our culture actually just kind of tuned up the volume on the whole military industrial complex apparatus infotainment throw that in there too apparatus like it's it 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 just turned up the volume and more or less not not that it brought anything like distinctly different or new but um yeah it's it, it was like a a a big infomercial i mean i i mean to put it crudely or to maybe make it you know, sound more mundane, which is really sort of mundane in that in a lot of respects. It's just kind of more of the same, only it's like you have this this amplified, overhyped, over over sensationalized, over the top, ridiculous theatrical production called nine eleven that um ushered in a perverted distortion of what we already had previously, but then just sort of like put it on steroids, I guess. And that's primarily what it was. I mean, I guess to try to rephrase it or, you know, put it, put it in context. And, uh, yeah, but see, you know, is, is, is that anything new? That's another question. Well, we, we even have a movie, um, titled that way by, is the name Dean Stock Dean Stockwell called Nine Eleven the movie? <laughs> I, I, this guy was interviewed. Well, I know I've heard Kevin Barrett interview him, but I think he was interviewed on Fakeologist. I thought you might have interviewed him. This is a guy. He's written a lot of books, and, but he and he's written like two or three books on Nine Eleven. But his latest, essentially, is deconstructing Nine Eleven as a movie. But others have done this. Uh, folks, the Nathan Folks, the Hollywood film director Fetzer's had him on. He's deconstructed 9-11 as a made-for-TV news movie. So mm-hmm. even the Hollywood professionals, you know, like an Oliver Stone should be ashamed of himself not to have stood up the day after 9-11 and said, you know, guys, this is this whole thing is bogus. Oliver Stone, of all people, knew. He knew. I, I The reason why I know he knew is because, you know, after uh, JFK, I, well, I had always followed all of his work, everything. And one of his uh, made-for-TV movie series was something called Wild Palms, and it starred Jim Belushi, Angie Dickinson. I mean, he, he got a real expensive cast for this thing, and they rolled it out. Wild Palms. See if you can find it. You'll have a real hard time finding it. But it's all about... um I guess augmented reality in the sense that they actually, you know, speaking of September clues, they actually insert, um, <laughs> how do I put this? That, you know, they can, you know, that you, well, you've seen it. You saw it in Wag the Dog with the bag of Fritos or the, and the kitty cat, you know, all that stuff, mm-hmm. you know, the kit, yeah. whatever. 
it's not, but this is like really like mind blowing stuff, you know? So, uh, I mean, what, and then, you know, this was also explored in the running man with the, where they supposedly were doing a news story that was framing the Schwarzenegger characters having committing a crime. And I, the whole thing is, we don't need Philip K. Dick to tell us about this. I mean, you know, it's here, it's been here. But, you know, they've always framed people using what, public information uh, tools like newspapers and so forth. All, all that's new for us is, is just the breadth and the depth and, and the, the, the so-called realism of the technology, the simulation, so to speak. It's a lot more convincing than, say, looking at – well, you brought this out. You said when the very, very first films were – put out in theaters, you know, of course they were silent, about 190, before World War One, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. 19-0-something. Around, and, yeah, around the beginning of the 19th. Yeah, and you said yeah, that, that they, they had, they'd have a film of a, of a, you know, a train coming at you down the track, and they said literally people in the theaters were like, freak, well, you know, were freaking out, right? You said people were, it was so real that people were like panicking. <laughs> now, look, I was, I attended premieres of Todd A.O. Cinema I This is amazing to recall this now, but I grew up during a period when every six months to year, there was some new vast technological visual advance taking place in movies. Such This was the golden age of, of, of the movie theater, of course, and the drive-ins, of course, everything. Um, some new Panavision, Technicolor, Technicolor. Finally, they had one, and this was premiered in How the West Was Won, where you, it was this huge wide screen in three sections, so you were surrounded by the image. And they had a they had a train scene in that, a train fight scene in that, you know, where they're running up and down the train, and it was very real. They had a, oh, they had a wag, a, a Indian attack on a wagon train. Mm-hmm. Where you really, you know, all of a sudden these flaming arrows are with, and people were in the theater were kind of like, but everybody knew obviously it was a special effect, but still it was very real to us then. To us then, I think if a bunch of kids went into one of these theaters and saw it now, in like a museum, they'd probably laugh at it. See, that's that gets me back again to my interpretation of how nine eleven is going to play out, which you know that it's ultimately going to be like. The, the people, the young people are going to be are going to see through it in such vast numbers so quickly that they're going to turn around and look at the older generation and and just say, fuck you, you ass. You know, they're really going to have contempt for the either the judgment or maybe the moral cowardice of their elders. And that that be that leads right to a generational revolt. And don't tell me that that doesn't that. Whether that's engineered or not, it really happens. Yeah, it's called the fourth turning. Got it. You know, I'm Thank thinking of know. everything from from uh, Weimar Germany. From there was the, the German National Socialists. They they captured the imagination of the youth and other movements. Have you have? That's what real revolution is. It's a revolution of generation, and it's usually the older people that get thrown under the the ones. Yeah, you know, get thrown under the bus because somebody's got to take the blame for the failure of everything. So let's uh, let Rochelle chime in. What she was at, she wanted to I think she wanted to add something to what you just got through saying, Lynn. Oh what, no! What, uh, oh, no um, I, I, what was that, Rochelle? 
Oh, no, so, no, I was just saying that I do agree with her that there is going to be a, um, that the, the younger generation is going to look back on us and, and you know, have just look, look down on this uh, generation that we're living in now that we're a part of. They're going to look down on us. with They're going to look at us with disdain and uh, contempt, just like she said. And I think that that's the whole point of it, you know. I think that, you know, we've kind of been brought up through this age of um, massive psychological manipulation, and they're going to reveal everything that they've done to us. And the younger generations are going to just be like, how did you ever fall for that? And they're going to totally, completely hate us. And then they're going to change the system in the way that they're uh, – told to be told to change it you know the way well, i don't know about that i mean like you go look back at the the moon landings and i mean that i mean i, I mean come on some of that stuff is so ridiculous looking i mean the especially they have the uh camera set up on the surface of the moon right and then you see the lunar uh the module go up you know where they're launching from the surface of the moon supposedly off back to head back to earth and you see the the thing that is so ridiculous looking it's just it's just so laughable and, and ridiculous but did, did can people go back and look at that now and say hey wait a minute this this is really dumb looking this is not real you know it's like no I mean, we can't, doesn't matter we can't. it just doesn't matter how fake it looks it's like people you know they're told to believe it they believe it they'll believe anything they're told generally i'm i'm, I'm speaking exactly. generally of course but yeah. right but now take this into consideration, though, Chris, the ad, the advent of the Internet and what, the, what it's done and how the conspiracy culture has grown and developed and stuff like that. I think that that's the difference between the 60s and um, now, basically. They're, calling, they're, they're showing us how, um, how manipulated we've been. You know what I mean? They're, like, telling us. Whereas in the 60s, it's kind of a word-of-mouth thing, where now you can literally go out and discover it for yourself. And I think that that's, you know, part of the point of that. I think that, you know, they're making it so, they're they're making things so obviously corrupt and unacceptable that uh, people are going to get out and protest and do whatever they want. They're going to do exactly what they're told to do, right? But I think that's the whole point is they do what they're told to do and it's going to change the system in the way that it's meant to change. But I think that, uh, you know, I was just uh, talking to Cam earlier. I was just saying that, you know, they're destroying it now. They're destroying our trust in all these, um, in in all these, I said government uh, establishments, the police, um, uh, money, just any any kind of form of a, of a social structure. They're making us mistrusted. They're showing us how how uh, how corrupt it is, and it's only just so that they can destroy it and then rebuild it in you know an even more destructive monster than it already is. Well, let me uh, add this to what you just got to saying, like, you know, with protests, I I was I was just thinking about this recently, like with, um, okay, you know, we've seen these, you know, lately in the news with, you know, the protests, they have the like Black Lives Matter protest, of course, and they're protesting, you know, we saw it was a couple of years ago with the Wall Street, the wall protesting Wall Street, protesting the bank bailout or whatever they're protesting doesn't matter. It's it. What that what that actually says, and 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 this is why I believe that you know it'll it'll get um it it'll get exposure in the media like these protests, and then why like people like George Soros will fund will fund these things and they'll do these marches and stuff like that. And there's all kinds of like groups and stuff like that. And you find out it's like 
oh, that's funded by the Ford Foundation. And then it's like, oh, La Raza, the race. And they'll have the people come out in all matching T-shirts. And their signs are all printed by the same sign company. And it's like, oh, it looks like uh, you got quite you an operation. Oh, yeah. And they'll go march around in circles. Well, now, why is that? Well, I, I think what that communicates more than anything with a with a with a protest, whether it's stage or maybe it's even real, whatever, it doesn't matter. Taking to the streets and and marching, and so you go maybe typically on Wall Street, literally on Wall Street, and it's like, oh, we'll go to Wall Street, or or we'll go to like some government building or whatever. That what what you're communicating is that like we're we're petitioning the gods, we're we're begging them, you know, please you know, change these policies or change these laws or give us more money, money, minimum wage. Or so it's people gather together in groups and go to petition this imaginary God, which is a government that doesn't fucking exist. It's like, it's preposterous. And that's what protests are. And that's like why they're allowed and why they're um, allowed to go on TV and why they get all the attention that they do and everything, because that's, that's what is being communicated. It's like, there is such a thing called government. It is like this all-powerful entity, and we have to go and make uh, our complaints and petitions to this thing, this abstract thing that actually doesn't exist and that would literally could go away overnight if soon as people stop believing in it. That's all it would take is like people for, to stop believing in, the, in this, uh, this fictional construct called man-made authority, and it would dissolve. There would be nothing that they could do about it. The people who control things. So there's no reason to go to any kind of physical location or anything like that. You shelter in a place or whatever. You don't, you don't go to anywhere because there's nowhere to go. There's no building or anything that is the ultimate representation of this thing called government. It doesn't exist. So there isn't any locale to congregate at, to petition or to bullhorn or anything. There's no building that like they'll, Alex Jones will show you, well, here's how it's done. I go, bullhorn empty buildings it's like well no you're just you're just yelling at you might as well literally yell at a fence post you know it's like you're you're not there is no government so there isn't nothing to yell at you know there is no the the power structure is is simply a belief system that's what organizes people in a certain fashion it's not but that you know people can't understand that they can't wrap the minds around the fact that the this whole thing is in our heads it's in our heads. It's in our brains. It doesn't exist out there. There is no, it doesn't exist out there. It's not, it's not external to us. It's inside of our heads. And it's like that people will, I don't know if people ever will get that until they get that, then nothing's going to change. If, as long as they're taking to the streets, they're going to some location and that, and that communicates the idea that there's this entity or whatever, this abstraction that, that we have to go there and petition these people to make them stop doing what we don't like or to do something that we would rather have them do instead of, or, or end this war or do whatever. It's like, that's not how, ever, and none of this is ever going to be solved. That's just, it's never going to be solved that way, but it, it, it serves you- the system though, to have that go on. And, and then, you know, you'll have people like Alex Jones that is a controlled opposition or any other controlled opposition. And it's like, they encourage that. Yeah. Let's take to the streets and let's go protest Bilderberg. And this is how it's done. We could stand in the street and yell at them with bullhorns as they go by. Do they give a shit? No, they don't give a shit. There are, are you going to get past security? No, because the people that are standing around protecting them 
have the belief in authority. So they have this cult like belief and they'll fight you to the bitter end. So, you know, you're not going to get anywhere close to those people. You can stand and yell at them all you want. Who gives a shit? You know, it's like, that's nothing is going to change that way. Nothing is going to change until people change their, what's going on in their brains. And they have to learn how to articulate this stuff and they have to learn how to see it for what it is. It's like, that's the only way anything's going to change. But but you you know what what happens when you bring stuff up or you you point the stuff out and, and it ha- has a tendency just to piss people off because they go into denial they go into fetal position and 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 try to guard their sacred cows and all their sacred held beliefs that have been inculcate, inculcated in, into them since they were in since they were children and and the truth be known it's like we're all still children we're like children we're like childlike we don't. We don't want to think for ourselves. We're afraid to. We're afraid to venture out past these mental constraints that have been put inside our heads. We're terrified of it. We're terrified of like the thought of existence without this imaginary construct called government. It's just like, well, who will build the roads? Who will keep law and order? Who will who will do these things for us? And it's like, no, nah, you're going to have to do it. And I'm going to have to do it. And that's all there is. We'll have to be adults is what will have to happen. But no, we're we're caught in a state of perpetual childhood. And that's why you have all this stuff around you in the culture that promotes that idea to stay in childhood, stay in Wonderland, stay and keep wearing your Peter Pan tights and flitter around and act like a fucking kid. That's what they want us to do. They want us to all stay trapped in our adolescence forever. And, you know, they're doing a great job. That's what the culture is designed to do. Notions like teenager or construct, they're completely controlled, right? I mean, that was an, it's one of Bernays' invention, the idea. Of, that's a consumer. The very Then they reverse engineered. Then the, the public relations and advertising industry got academic psychology to reverse engineer it into this notion of adolescence as a stage of development. Now, I guess if we look at tribal societies, we do see we do see initiation rites associated with puberty and stages stages of development. But the specific notion of teenager and adolescent in our time is a complete cultural pseudoscientific construct, along with the so-called nuclear family. That's another artificial con- – when the real family was the extended family, and it was a larger group. It included the in-laws and the, you know, the grand folks and all that, and the little baby. You know, it was a cross-generational group that functioned. So, so much of this. But that poses the question of, you know, it, it just, is culture, culture is economy. In the end, I had this flash on me about a year and a half ago when I walked in. I went into this local place. Uh, it's a tavern, you know, a tavern sports bar around the corner from me. And, uh, you know, I go in there, you know, and uh, I don't, I'm not drinking alcohol like I used to, but, and, you know, the, these places have the coasters, those little paper, co- you know, the cardboard coasters on the bar, right? I pick up a pile of coasters. And instead of it being an advertisement for Budweiser or Coors or something, it's it's uh, one of these uh, see something, say something, uh, your local. And then on the other side, it says, and here's what, you know, code this. In other words, your courtesy of your Department of Homeland Security. Now, I understand I live right in the middle of this, this stuff is, <laughs> I mean, 
Fort Meade is down the road, NSA, which, by the way, is now openly recruiting on YouTube. Have you seen this? Rochelle, have you, seen, have you actually on YouTube? Chris, I, I'm confused right now, Chris. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm sorry. Uh, Chris, I'm trying to figure out if you were a, disagreeing, if you were disagreeing with me that, um, that, that, you know, there will be like a major overhaul of a lot of like government establishments and stuff like that, that will be taking place. I'm not saying that because of protesting, what I was saying is that that's kind of the guys that it's gonna, the, you have to change the opinions of the population first and make them kind of like gun control and stuff like that. Like you don't take guns away. You make people not want them. You know what I mean? You make people not want certain things or want certain things that are um, established within government systems and stuff like that. And that's you do it. You do it just like Eric Holder said you do it. You brainwash people every day, right? <laughs> I mean, well, then, like they could say, well, the people have spoken, you know, here's all these protests and then they come along with it's just a yeah. problem reaction solution. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I mean, okay, yeah, yeah, you're not yeah. you weren't you weren't you weren't I don't know what I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you weren't you weren't stating that protests were good. It's not no, what you're saying, no, not right? at all. No, I was just saying. No, that, yeah, you know, I know. I understand that. Yeah. Well, See, to me, I, I don't whole, know. I, whole younger, whole the whole, our whole um, coming generation is going to be a part of that. That's what I'm saying. Is that they're setting us up for that right now, and that's what I mean. I mean, literally, they're going to they're going to turn this entire generation that's behind us. They're going to turn it around. They're going to use that generation against us through all these meetings. And they're their whole their whole opinions about things are going to be are going to be completely different than ours because of what they're showing us now with this conspiracy. Because of what how because of how um, much distrust and how much. Uh, um, contempt, contempt, and, and so this whole younger generation is going to hate us, and they're gonna, they are going to. It's going to seem like they are overhauling the system, but of course, it's not coming from them directly. But it's going to make a lot of sense for them what's happening. You know, that's all I have to say. Are you, yeah, you reference? Yeah, I can see that. Uh, Rochelle referenced the meme, the fourth turning. I'm trying to index that. Is that a recurring thing, or is it unique to our time? Well, it's a fourth turning, so no, it's a recurring cyclical. It's just—it's like the cycles of um, the, I guess the, the, he, he tries to characterize the cycles of generations and the cycles of history um, in parallel to each other, and just kind of you know, right now we're in the fourth turning, and so you know, the last four. This is what you know. This is what these two guys, Neil Hal and William Strauss. About, and who knows who these guys are? And of course, they didn't just come up with it themselves, you know. But anyway, you know, the, the whole point of the fourth turning is that um, there's different characteristics that uh, are to be are, are to be um, demonstrated, I guess, in, in every fourth turning. But you know, specifically this one now is they're trying to uh, destroy, like they said. Uh, and he wrote this book in like 1995 too, which is pretty funny. Um, they're 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 destroying government establishments and stuff like that. They want us to mistrust the money system. They want us to mistrust the uh, medical system and everything, so that they can overhaul it. That's pretty much the only reason for it. And I guess the last fourth turning, um, which was like 80 something years ago or whatever, was the uh, would it be the Civil War, and then the fourth turning before that was like the revolutionary war oh no the last fourth turning was world war ii and then the fourth turning before that civil war and so it just goes on this trajectory so we're kind of like coming to the climax now uh, 
And, you know, it's just going to be a complete overhaul, basically. There's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of chaos, and then it's going to, you know, there's going to be order out of the chaos. Let me so, uh, ask, I think John's on here. John, you, uh, you, yeah. you hear that? I mean, who is, who is the one that said that uh, this would be the century of change? That we would see all this change and upheaval in this century. I, I, was it, um, I, I have a hard time sometimes with the, the different names. I get them all mixed up, but, um, yeah, something to the effect that this Jacques, is the center of change. Yeah, sorry. Jacques Attali. Jacques Attali. And then, um, Millennium. Yeah, you have the, the Alvin Toffler book about the third wave, how, um, you know, there's Mar- Marilyn Ferguson, the age of the Aquarian age. The Aquarian conspiracy. Conspiracy, yeah. Yeah, see, you have all these uh, people at the beginning of they – always, they always write these books at the beginning of the decade. So, like, like Atali wrote Millennium in 90. Uh, Marilyn Ferguson wrote Aquarian Conspiracy in, like, 80 or 81 or somewhere around there. Same thing with Toffler, wrote the third wave around the same time. They all basically say the same thing over and over and over again. It's like basically the same books. You can find all sorts of books. There's another book that doesn't that we don't mention much and that I always forget about. There was a book written in 1980, and Toffler even basically says, like, oh, this is a great book, and that's John Nasbitt's Megatrends. Uh-huh. So if you ever see that one in the thrift store, uh, check that book out. It's basically the same exact thing. I mean, it, it's like the same thing as Third Wave or something. John Nasbitt's Mega Trends book. And so they all say the same thing. Like you guys are talking about, you know, the fourth turning with uh, Strauss and Howe or whatever. Yeah. whatever. It's yeah. it's all, it's like, it's like these Not guys clear. all went to the, these, these guys all went to the same meeting and they just said, hey, just in all your different little niches of culture creation or, um, you know, academia, you're going to all basically say the same thing and, and sell it in like a different way. <laughs> That's what everything is. That's what absolutely yeah. everything is. Well, there's a quote, okay. too, that says um, the most most potent weapon of the oppressor is the mind of the, the oppressed. Uh Steven. That's Hegel. That sounds like Hegel's lordship and bondage of lordship in the phenomenology of mind. It's well, pure that's the only weapon dialect. that they have, really. I mean, I would even extend that out further to 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 to, to add that to it. That that is the really the primary weapon, and really the only weapon that they really hold is what they put in our minds. Because like I made the point earlier, it's like, you know, you're dealing with a tiny minority of people that rule the rest of the masses through this, you know, these various methods. And, you know, they have it they have it down to a science. You know, it's a scientific dictatorship, as it's described by uh, Aldous Huxley. You know, it's it's what it is. And, um, you know, you can see it through all these institutions and stuff that surround you, you know, how they put this stuff in practice and, you know, to control primarily your mind and nothing else. I mean, you're not walking around with 
um, physical restraints on you or anything like that, or some kind of a shock collar that shocks you when you get out of certain bounds or anything like that. We don't, we don't see anything like that, even though that's been depicted in dystopian films and stuff like that. But, you know, it could be a metaphor for, for the control over the mind. You know, we don't, we don't dare, like you brought up the film, the running man that was in, I believe that was in the running man where they had a, a scene where Schwarzenegger was in prison and uh, he had this collar around his neck and they showed a guy that went beyond a boundary and his head blew off, blew his head off because the thing was char- had, uh, you know, explosive charges inside this collar around these prisoners necks. And uh, that, you know, you don't, you don't see that in 2016 uh, employed, you know, broadly employed or anything like that. But, you know, you, you do see the same color. thing. Yeah, cultural callers. That's that's a good way to put it. It's it, yeah, it's a mental they constructs. They showed that in Cloud Atlas yeah. too. Yeah, there's a similar concept in 1984 with with uh, Winston, where he's talking about the stuff that like that he knows he's not supposed to talk about, but he keeps inside of his mind, and he knows that by even thinking those things that even those thoughts that he's thinking are dangerous and that he might get in trouble just for thinking those thoughts because they might manifest onto his face and the, and the camera that's always watching him, you know, might see his facial expressions and know what he's thinking. That's hardly far removed from invasion of the body snatchers where if you behave in any right. way that indicates you have emotion, you, you, you know, betrayed you that you're really human and you're not one of these hot people. I yeah, mean, that was a film that scared the crap out of me when I was a little kid, man. I saw that on <laughs> TV one time. You talking I about mean, the original, are you talking about the original or the remake they did with no, the, Donald, the Donald Sutherland? Sutherland the oh. Adams one. Because I grew yeah. up with the original with Kevin McCarthy and that was like, it was the original was terrifying, actually. They even done in black and white. And you're right, the remake was pretty, pretty scary too, pretty creepy because it was so plausible all of it. But you know what? It, yeah, the, the, there's one thing I wanted to say. The um, okay, so if we're looking at all of the the global conflicts, you know, geopolitics and all that nonsense, you know, um. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, you know, you'll read a lot of things about, you know, conflicts with Russia and the Middle East and all this type of stuff. Okay. This stuff is all playing itself out so perfectly in line with the stuff that we've read, you know, that you can read about in books for years and years. And it's funny because, like, if you go read a lot of the third, you know, the third wave or, um, uh, you know, even political books from the times of the eighties, they're talking about conflict with Russia. And if you think about the time back in the eighties, that seemed plausible because of the cold war. Right. But now I see that it's actually going to manifest itself in, you know, not into reality by any sort of just happenstance. It's going to actually manifest itself into reality because it's planned out that way. And so it couldn't, you know, you know, like, um, get, you know, you'll see things on, it's like we've talked about with Trump or with, 
with Putin or some somebody like that, like, oh, they seem to be seeing the, the right things or doing, you know, making the right moves within their country. But what what is actually taking place is it's it's very hard for people to understand how how like good things can be manifested into culture by people who are setting something up for a particular time period. So it's like, it's like you could have, it's like we've talked about before about making America prosperous in the fifties. Like that in of itself, it, it was good. It was good for the people and good things came out of that. You had good society and moral people and things like that, but that wasn't the point. Right? Like, that was not the end goal. The end goal was to create a, ter- a certain type of society. And and it, it, it's, it also has to do with, with you know, for lack of a better word, I don't really get into this type of stuff too often, but for, like, black and white magic. You know, you can use, quote-unquote, white magic to get a result that you want. So it's like you you do something good in order to get something that you want out of it. Right. And so you can do the same thing with cultures and with countries and, you know, promote good things, but it's not necessarily because you necessarily want the good. It's because you want to see a result that's going to be used as an opposition to something in the future. I I don't know if that makes sense. I, I don't know I, if that makes sense, but I feel no need to. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like it mystifies it by using terms like alchemy or magic, because to me, I, I don't see. I don't see the qualitative difference between global gangster factions centered, whether they're centered in Moscow or London or Tel Aviv or Zurich or Beijing, wherever they happen to be. The uh, business deals and negotiations and agreements and partnerships and the factional conflicts, sometimes bloody, that take place between these gangster uh, formations, few in number, I don't see that differing qualitatively from what a citizen of Cook County or, you know, Cicero, Illinois might have, how they might have viewed, you know, in the 19th 20s and 30s, how that realm, that region would have been ruled by conflicts between the Moran gang and the Capone gang and Meyer Lansky and whoever else might have been, had you know, been fighting for for turf under those circumstances. To me, this the only thing that's new about our time is the I don't society. believe anybody fights for turf, though. That's well, thing. yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it's real conflict. I just don't. I don't believe that Russia and the U.S. have a real conflict. I don't. I don't believe that. Um, I, you know, I, I, obviously, I believe that, that that these people are human and that they they have real conflicts with each other. As far as like they might, you know, Hillary Clinton might not like Vladimir Putin. I don't know. I don't. I don't know that for a fact, but let's just say that they just don't like each other, you know, personally. It's just like not liking somebody at a job. Like you work with somebody every day. I mean, I worked with people at jobs before where I didn't really care for them as a person, but you have to go to work every day and you work with them and you, 
it doesn't stop you from doing your job just because you personally don't like them. Yeah, but sociopaths, so, a sociopath will sell his mother for a nickel. Psychopaths have no, they, they have no concept of loyalty or they're different. It's a whole different, um, no, set of no, 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 that's not, well, that's not, that, that's not possible then. That, then if, if that's, if that's true, then, then that would even negate the idea that people could cooperate within this new world order system. Well, they cooperate, but they cooperate according to perceived self-interest at any given moment. And that's all too human. I don't think it could work like that personally. I don't think I don't think that um, that the system could survive with everybody operating on pure self-interest. No, they create have... things. They create things like admiralty law and uniform commercial code and armies of lawyers to 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 um, you know negotiate. But when those negotiations break down, occasionally it breaks out into gang warfare. And we, we see the manifestations of that bubbling right on down to the street level in a place like Chicago today, although that's, no. that's an indirect result. But, yes, there's definitely turf conflict over things like drug territories in a, in a place like Colombia. You know, I mean, the, the warfare that is occurring is real, but, of course, if, that's if not. Someone, if someone said to the drug, whether it was drug lords in Colombia or whether it was um some sort of political battle someone who was had a high enough position over those particular people they said they said listen you're going to give up whatever it is position it is you're vying for okay whatever it is that's going on right now is going to end you know if someone came up, if someone took Hillary who was in a high enough position took Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump aside or Vladimir Putin aside they said listen Here's what's going to happen. You're not going to have power anymore. Uh, those people would give up power at the drop of a hat because they know their place. Mm -hmm. So the conflicts that exist are allowed to happen. They're they're allowed to exist within the system, and the con and out of the conflict, whether it's a conflict that that you know that arises, and then thirty years later the result of that conflict plays itself out, then that may be the case. So it's like... Okay, you know, so we, we, we be... see this being played out right now in... Okay, so well, let's just put Brazil on the side because maybe that's all theater, what's happening in Brazil where they've had sort of a moving coup. But what about the Philippines where this guy Duserte is being... And he's the president, I guess. And he's now being... Testimony has been given in court that he ordered hits on political rivals when he was mayor. And this is now, you know, it's in the newspapers, in the mainstream narrative over there in the Philippines. And he's not disowning it either. Are we, are, is this all just uh, posturing? Or, I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think these guys do have some notches in their belt, and I think they're selling their leadership qualities precisely because they have a reputation as successful gangsters. And that... <laughs> You don't really think that the that the Philippines would mouth off to the U.S. and actually think that they wouldn't get bombed to the Stone Age, right? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I'm sure Duterte has no illusions about that. I'm sure he has no illusions about that. I don't know. I think maybe your view of this is that things are much more tightly controlled at an international level and that at a national I guarantee that guy is like a Castro. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you, you, you could know, very I mean, well. Yeah, he could be entirely. You see, here's what happened. The Bay of Pigs, the Bay of Pigs was about making Castro look good to the Cubans. Hmm. Okay, so it was staged by the CIA. It was fake. They faked the Bay of Pigs so that it, it boosted Castro's uh, credibility in the eyes of the Cubans. This guy's posturing to the Filipino people to make himself look good to and, and use the the old idea of the big bad U.S. Oh, the U.S. is bad. They're evil. Everybody thinks that. You go, you, I mean, you can go anywhere. I've got friends who travel the world. People don't like Americans anymore. Okay? They go places and they, they hear snide remarks um, um, about people in the U.S. because the U.S. has a bad reputation. But that bad reputation, when it comes to uh, certain things, whether it's corporate influence or, you know, um, uh, lack of a better description, the only thing that would come to mind would be like uh, economic hitman type stuff. That's how the power is wielded, you know. But I'd say that most countries and, and people who get into power positions, they want um, – they want Starbucks. They want Best Buy. Well, I'm 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 sure some of those Cuban exiles who fought at the Bay of I mean, apparently there was there were they took heavy casualties. Alpha sixty six and some of those groups took very so very heavy casualties at the Bay of Pigs. Didn't get the air support they were promised. There were many of them were captured. Some that were captured were tortured, but a lot were killed. And there is, to this day, there is residual bitterness in the Cuban exile community in South Florida over what they regarded as a betrayal at the Bay of Pigs, and people have relatives that died there. So I, I don't know if, I, yes, we could say it was staged, but that doesn't mean it was entirely fake, if you know what I mean. Uh, there is some real. There's some real sort of rival gangster stuff going on here that, you know, it might be, I'm not saying that we're privy to all the real hits that take place. Michael Hastings, that journalist working for Rolling Stone magazine, who we were told was going to working on some expose or other, and basically told tales out of school about what, I don't know, some general mouthing off in Afghanistan. It was a totally contrived situation, but... Was it his Mercedes or his BMW that supposedly blew up, ran into a telephone pole and blew up in L.A. somewhere? Now, that was fake. Okay. You so you think they got him somewhere under a new identity? Yeah, yeah. Chris did a great – Chris already did a great analysis of that a couple of years ago. Yeah, I was trying See, to remember the particulars about that, but then um, I think I recall some stuff about it where – they show you a photograph of the engine yeah. with the transmission and everything intact that supposedly dislodged from the car. And it was, I mean, it just, yeah, it, it, it there was, uh, people on the scene. There so look, I, gotta a, tell you I, I think in that I, case, I, I there was take, a guy that was interviewed on the scene that was right. identified as a Hollywood producer. Right. The guy Let's standing next to him was holding a, like a goat, like a pet goat. Yeah. You don't have to convince me. Let's say it was all fake. Let's say it was all fake. 
and they basically gave him a nose job or a, I don't know, a facelift and, and he's now living under another identity or maybe, or who knows, maybe just moved to another country and he's even using the same name. Who knows? Like, like, like many, some of the alleged pilots of nine eleven. you know, I mean, they're still alive with the same names. It's crazy. But, um, let's say that that's true. That that's not what I'm getting at here. Say. There is a me- I'll tell you I'll tell you how how I'm looking at this. I among other people I know very well a marine a former he was he was in uh, Gulf War 1 and Gulf War 2 marine sergeant and as a reservist and he's a businessman primarily now he's he's out of the marines but he's you know he's a marine type you understand very conservative conservative, uh, sort of somewhere between a Republican and Libertarian, thinks of himself as a Libertarian, but he's really a very Catholic conservative. Uh, Fifteen years I've known this guy, and when the Hastings story broke, when that narrative broke, and this is a guy who, he he would never, when when I said 9-11 was an inside job, he said, oh, you've got to be kidding, I can't believe you think that. He he acts like he's really convinced that 19 guys knocked down his buildings. I can't believe he's still – I haven't spoken to him in a while about that. I don't know what he thinks now. But this is someone who, would, who was just completely bought into the mainstream narrative. But when that Michael Hastings story broke, the first thing he said to me right out – he, he showed up. I, I know he's got a mar- – because we martial arts train together. He showed up. The first thing he says to me, you know, he says, no one's going to convince me that that was any accident. They, they were de- somebody was definitely sending a message for that. They blew that guy away, and someone was sending a message for that, and no one will ever convince me differently. Now this guy's Italian, of by origin, and and you know he's a big fan of the Godfather films, and so he he could think along those lines. But I thought to myself, wow, you know this is somebody who would ordinarily dismiss me as a totally paranoid conspiracy theorist. And and he mainly buys into the mainstream narrative, but he understands the gangster nature of things, and he can relate to the message that's delivered. Now, now what am I saying here? If I said to him, you know, Dave, that's fake. For all you know, Michael Hastings has assumed a new identity, and he's living on an island resource somewhere, and you know, Club Med, or who knows. But and he'd say, no, 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 you know. But but it's the message. It's the message. The message is, hey, if you mess with us. In you, you so-called journalists, anybody who's working in that industry, if you if you mess with the wrong story, the wrong people, this could happen to you. I mean, are is, we? Is, are, your are, friend's, is your friend's name Frank Carlucci? <laughs> no, no, this is some. I'm, sorry, I'm kidding. No, but kidding. you know, I mean, they do. I, I don't know. You know, the implication. The it's almost reached a point now where. You know, do we need to – when they ran down the JFK scenario, I'll call it that now, because I, we now have a constituency out here, probably me included, that is wondering how much of that really was a hit and how much of that was just simply made to look like a hit in public. There's a message delivered there. You know, just like with 9-11, you're tra- you are making thre- – you are threatening people, and you're using the media to do it. This government, you could say, well, once people just shake it off and realize it's nothing but a fiction, well, somebody's got to run the infrastructure. These guys, if they need to make the, the sense of fear real enough, they'll deliberately engineer fa- infrastructure failures, catastrophic failures. Ordo up KO, they will create the chaos they need to justify whatever, you know, that, you know, they'll fence in an area and who knows what they'll do. Cut off garbage collection until we have cholera, who knows what they'll do. 
But just because so many of these are staged, let us not underestimate the real message of fear and intimidation and terrorism that is being communicated by the canonical narrative of these events, whether they are staged, whether they're completely fictional, or whether they are, are, they are authentic murders. You know, I agree with you, but I don't agree with you, and I'll tell you why. Um, I think it's I think it's important to point out the fake nature of things, or at least the speculative possibility of that, because that is one thing that is. I mean, it becomes so obvious if you're doing real analysis and do, and using real objectivity when looking at something. And it's the one thing that completely and totally gets ignored for the most part. And, um, and, and so, so it's where, whereas you're in, in one type of world of analysis, I understand what you mean. Like it doesn't matter whether it's fake or it doesn't matter what, it, whether it's real, it's what's being communicated. I understand that, but it is important to make sure that if something is fake and you notice something about it that is fake that it needs to be pointed out because that creates a whole different nature of how you look at it and then it's something that is not pointed out the the reason i i stress that point is because i used to live in the world of listening to alex jones or you know uh, patriot radio in general and it never got pointed out that stuff was fake, ever. Everything was real. The only thing that Alex Jones ever pointed out that he's done a complete and total 180 on was that Al-Qaeda was fake and Muslim terror was fake. Now, according to him, Muslim terror is real and Al-Qaeda and ISIS are real. But, um, but the nature of everything was real. There was real, you know... Um, you got to be scared of the government. You got to be scared that the government's going to blow stuff up, and that you might be at a train station and or, or wherever, and you're going to be there, and there's going to be some sort of um, uh, event, and and uh, you, you got to be alert, and you got to buy iodine pills to make sure you're prepared. So once you apply the analysis of things being fake, then you realize you don't have to worry about those things anymore because you're like, oh, wait a minute, that's a controlled event. That's a staged event. It's staged in the manner of, well, it's not even really happening for real. So I don't have to worry about being somewhere and having some sort of event happen to me. And I think a lot of people who listen to these calls uh, have gained great comfort out of that, knowing that they don't have to exist in that world where they always have to be scared. Well, yeah, yeah the nature, understanding the nature of how, how, I mean, what, what is it? What, what is this thing, this society or, or culture or whatever, like what, what is the real nature of it and how does it operate? And you understand that it, it is for the most, for the most part, you know, we point out, we point these things out. I mean, I don't know how it could be any more clear with these corresponding drills surrounding these events. I don't, I, I don't know what else you would really need to, to demonstrate that these things are, are, are staged, managed events. Um, 
it, it, it just it just demonstrates how how there's this need to have this um this this man the stage managed narrative always play the same tune all the time to communicate this 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 idea into you of this need for this this all powerful authority that's going to be there to protect us you know that's going to be there to to look after us and and that we need to defer to it at all times you know and we need to give them more lead way and more and more and, and that's always it's this incessant tune that always gets played in these things. And that's always something that um, I think is a common thread throughout any of these events. And then what, yeah, once you, be, you become aware that these are, these are stage managed hoaxes for, for to, to probably the, the overwhelming majority of them, not all of these um, main major events are, are, purely hoax stage and stage managed and 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 there to communicate these concepts and 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 to not only that but to to um prop up your existing you know preconceptions about things uh with your ideas toward this imaginary fiction called government and um it you know if if you know once you become aware of it like like John's saying, yeah, you take a you could you could it takes a load off, you know. I mean, I'll put it that way, it takes takes a load off your mind to to understand that you know you have somebody or or a group of individuals out there, whatever you want to call them, the, the powers that be or whatever doesn't matter what you call them, but that how they truly operate and um, it's like coming to the awareness that no, you didn't really have somebody after you that was going to really do you seriously or body harm, but you had somebody that was going to scare you into believing that so that you would alter your behavior. But once you become aware that it's not a real threat and this, and, and this thing doesn't, you know, and this thing called government doesn't really exist. And then, you know, people who are identified and resent represented themselves as government are this small tiny minority and then the the people who actually run things and can you know dictate what they do are even smaller minority then you know you could truly put things in perspective and it's like yeah there is absolutely nothing to worry about in regards to any of this stuff at all you know north korea is not about to fire nukes on los angeles because they for one thing they they are not any kind of, they don't represent any kind of threat. And I was like, um, like, uh, I think K, K Ahmad pointed this out maybe in the chat or something like that with to the effect that, you know, you, you look at a, a country like North Korea and they have, they have, their, their economy is about the same size as like Italy. It's like, we're, you're going to have like, you know, this idea put out that like Italy is some kind of a threat to the United States. It's like, that's just preposterous. And like, look, look at this. Could they have any kind of hope of ever having any kind of protracted stance against this, the, the, this huge empire, the United States? And, the, you know, yeah, just compare the economies, compare the economy of like Afghanistan or, or Iraq to, even the state of California, and it's like not even the not even as big as the state of California. I mean, come on. So you're you're this, but the it's always this this always perpetual uh, fear mongering and this war drum beating is always going on a, as if these so called countries represent any kind of real threat. But the idea, when you look at it and rationally, reasonably, is it, it's just absurd. 
it's really absurd. It's, yeah, oh, Italy is going to come and, and kill us all. Or, you know, like any of these countries, even Russia. I mean, what, what is their what is their economy in comparison to United States? It's not not even no no comparison. I mean, come on. So, like they represent some kind of threat. Now, China, on the other hand, maybe represent a threat. See, we're not told to be afraid of China, so we're not afraid of China. But um, and I don't think they're a real threat. I don't think they represent a threat. But um. But why does North Korea represent a threat? Because uh, we're told to be afraid of them, you know, and like we're, we're told that they're they're run by some it's run by some maniacal dictator that's going to nuke us at any time. And it's like, well, I'm 100 percent convinced that that's not going to happen for the fact that nukes don't exist because they, you know, all the footage was, you know, created in a Hollywood style studio. But that's just me. You know, I don't I don't. I don't try to convince anybody of that, um, that they're fake because it's like trying to prove a negative and it's impossible to do. But you can look at certain truths that are facts, that are undeniable facts, that it's created in a, all that footage is created in a Hollywood style studio. And that that's a fact. And that's an admitted fact. How about this one? How about that Kim Jong un was, uh, he was, uh, he went to school at a Swiss boarding school <laughs> with like Rothschilds. Yeah. <laughs> kids. Well, Dennis you Rodman, know, Dennis Rodman took a whole crew of NBA guys over there, spent a, well, about a month right. playing basketball. And, over there. Yeah. And that's, that's like a superficial thing too. I, I'm not downplaying that. What, what I'm saying is, is that, is that it's entertainment. Like, we're, it's all we're, entertainment. We're, we're supposed to be afraid of this guy. But yet he went to the boarding school with like bankers' kids, right? Well, he may not be running the show. He he may be a figurehead himself. We don't. Well, of course you know, he is. I'm, I'm just right. saying, like, I'm I'm, spo- I'm supposed to be afraid of him, but the elite aren't afraid of letting him go to school with their kids. <laughs> well, it, it, now, be, let's be careful how we tread here, because when you say, "Well, we're supposed to be afraid," well, no, the big bad alleged USA is not supposed to be afraid of. North Korea, but if you talk to people whose origins are in South Korea, and believe me, there's quite a few here in my neck of the woods. I mean, we have a lot of Korean Americans here, and they take the DPRK pretty seriously. A lot of them, they as in terms of its as a potential military threat to the South, where they come from. So how do you argue with that? I mean, you're saying, well, are they just being manipulated? Are, are they being psychologically, just being psychologically manipulated? Now, I, and I wanted to back up to something that was said earlier because that, which is to say how much of this society, the spectacle is pure spectacle and how much of it has real conflict underlying it or where the spectacle's being piggybacked onto real conflict rather than, say, simulated drills or exercises. Um, I see things, I, I see things being played out most, most dynamically, as I said before, in the intergenerational arena where a younger generation is going to be so rejecting the elder generation's culture with such disgust and such revulsion that it's going to lead to very dramatic, some very dramatic uh, conflict. I, that's what I anticipate. I think that's the arena where it's going to be played out. I'm wondering. I'm. I'm sure. I'm wondering if John has um, 
spoken or written. Are you familiar with a film from the 60s? It was pivotal to my experience called Wild in the Streets. It was a, a satirical, futuristic. Yes. Uh, okay. Would you. Can you. You want to <laughs> address the, that a little bit? The Circle Jerks got their song Wild in the Streets from. <laughs> <laughs> well, the original, the band in the film was Max Frost and the Stormtroopers, and Max Frost is the protagonist. He becomes a culture hero. The film is a right. satire, of course. And, you know, and Shelley Winters is in it, I think, at plays his mother. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right, so you're 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 obviously familiar with the film, and but uh, for some reason, you know, I, I at the time I thought, you know, when it first came out, it was very very big among. People my age, we saw, we recognize it as a satire, but at the same time, y- you recall there's a scene in there where they end up locking up all the old people and they put the young people, put anybody over a certain age in a concentration camp. Is that what ultimately happens, right? Yes. Yeah, I, I, I never thought of it as satire. Ah. <laughs> well, um, I, I meant to post this article it, it, it that. Um, I mean, that, I. Uh, I know, I know that it's not a comedy, or I mean, I know that it's a comedy. Um, a comedy, but not a satire. That's interesting. You never thought of it. As, it, it was definitely, it was definitely written with all kinds of comic stuff in it. I mean, it's not, it wasn't meant to be taken seriously. At the same time, there was sort of an implied threat. There was, there was a message embedded in the film that did imply a threat to, to anyone who was over thirty. I think, right? Was it don't trust anyone over thirty or something? No, like, it, it was. Um, um, it was. It, well, that's the that's the old commie thing. But it was something different. It was like uh, it was like if you're thirty, you're through or something like that. Right. And they were giving him LSD when they sent him to these camps, these rehabilitation camps to give him LSD, right? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But but as I say, that the the movie was. If you ever, if you watch it, you'll say, well, clearly this was intended to be a satirical comedy. I mean, no one was supposed to be taking it seriously. But it did become something of a cult classic amongst my generation, certainly. And um, and was prescient. Yes, the, was pre- <laughs> the song, Chris and, Chris and I actually used uh, the song from Wild in the Streets on the end of one of our calls. It's a song by uh, Max Frost. Max Frost and the Stormtroopers, yeah. Yeah, it's called The Shape of Things to Come. Nothing can change the shape of things to come. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I could probably recite the lyrics to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so the um, – but yeah, but I, I understand what you're saying. But, you know, there was another film along those same lines. And see, the satires, they just happened to come out at the right time, of course. There was another one. Um, and Jay Dyer brought this up. Um, it was something that I'd thought about myself um, on one of our calls, and that was the movie Heather's was a satire, but this is a movie that has to do with school shootings. And it came out in the 80s right before this, um, you know, school shooting thing started popping up. And that was the whole premise of the film is it was supposed to be a satire about, um, you know, clicks and popularity at school and it's a very dark satire about you know this girl and this guy who love each other um you know teenage romance and then they decide well you know everybody who's who gives us trouble at school we should just shoot them 
And so that's, or, you know, do stuff. And then, you know, even at the end of the school, at the end of the, the movie, uh, the, the guy straps a bunch of dynamite to himself and blows himself up in the school. So there's all of this stuff in this dark satire, which is supposed to be satire, but yet it conveys messages through it, just like Wild on the Streets did at that same time. Um, that see, that have a uh, very predictive programming type elements with it embedded in them. Yeah, it was a Winona Ryder, right? And she remember, you know, her godfather is Timothy Leary. Yep, <laughs> Timothy Leary's goddaughter. <laughs> It always seems to kind of appear in these, uh, like she was in Scanner Darkly. She's been in some other, uh, yeah, kind of, kind of films that are like that where you always see, like, see these same, these same actors, actresses will pop up in these, these types of films, you know, predictive programming type films. Yeah, or films that take on a kind of a dark, satirical thing. Uh, she was also in that movie Beetlejuice. Um, which, which is a dark satire kind of thing, sort of like, um, well, I guess it's a Tim Burton film, so it's it's overtly kind of satanic Masonic stuff. But, um, yeah, this guy at my work, he wears a Tim Burton shirt. He has like the Tim Burton, like, you know, production company t-shirt. Uh-huh. I'm not kidding. It's it's it says the name of the production, and it's in between two like um, like leafless trees, like you know, kind of dark looking, scary trees. Uh huh. And and the words are hovering in between these two trees on a on a tesserated floor. Yeah. <laughs> so it's two. It's two. It's the you know the twin pillars on the checkerboard. And Tim Burton's company name is in between the two pillars, the two dark trees. <laughs> You're not suggesting that's Masonic, are you, John? No, I, he probably just has a thing for, you know, playing checkers, most likely. Yeah, that's what well, it is. Well, I, I, I almost regard it like your observation that Sonny Barger, the uh, chief of the uh, West Coast tells Angels at the time of Altamont, and the guy who supervised the security at Altamont, we were told, um, that he had Freemasonry connections, to which my reply would be, well, that would be purely incidental in the case of a West Coast Hells Angel. I mean, he probably had all kinds of, <laughs> you know, initiations and connections that would have made his Masonic connection seem trivial. So, yeah, Chris, and I, Chris and I have talked about Hells Angels Plenty of times I've read I've read two books on Sonny Barger. Um, first of all, he lives like right in an area near Chandler, Arizona, and he brags about it. He says it's kind of funny that I chose this area to live in because it's full of ex cops and ex FBI agents. And yeah. if you go look up Chandler, Chandler, Arizona, it's a it's a cop it's cop land, mm-hmm. right? It's well known that that's that's cop city. Um, another thing, another thing about the Hell's Angels was their prim- their primary function was drug running. 
LSD distribution. Um, I was having a chat with the, the back and forth with some guy on the Hoaxbusters comment section. Uh, he was asking about something I can't remember right off the top of my head about uh, one of the Hell's Angels uh, who was causing the trouble at Altamont. Um, gosh, what's that guy's name? And then he ended up being in um, Lucifer Rising, the uh, Kenneth Anger film. And um, I just pointed out to him, I said, look, Terry the Tramp from the Hell's Angels was a direct drug runner. He was an LSD runner for um, Stanley Owsley. So he would go into San Francisco and pick up the LSD from them. And he was, you know, he was a LSD drug runner. And that's what you get with a lot of these Hells Angels is they started kind of the, like the drug distribution networks whenever they would have new chapters somewhere. They became like this, uh, drug drug runner thing and some bargain never got busted i mean these guys they, they would do like little you know prison stints i'm convinced to at least a certain extent that the that this gave them credibility amongst the hell's angels you know amongst the unwitting dupes to get into these things and that's what they do they get these guys and they you know they pinch them for this or that um a lot of times these guys, you know, Sonny Barger would end up in court and he'd have like high powered lawyers hired for him. Mm-hmm. Speaking of high powered lawyers, you know, who's in wild in the streets, Melvin belly. Belli, Melvin Bella. He makes a cameo appearance in that movie. And, uh, Melvin Bella has been the, uh, he's been everything involved in everything from, uh, Oh, Patty Hearst to uh, the Zodiac. Remember, he was the guy who went on television, you know, with the fake Zodiac shootings um, and scared the crap out of the public, saying, you know, taking this note or whatever that the Zodiac killer allegedly wrote where there was going to be a school bus blown up with kids on it. And uh, you just go look into the background of that guy. And then he goes on to make cameo appearances in a movie like Wild on the Streets. <laughs> he's supposed to be this uh, high-powered lawyer that, you know, takes himself all seriously. He's kind of like a... He has something to do with F. Lee Bailey, too, which, of course, we know him from uh, Manson and O.J. and everything else. Also, as I bring up earlier, that like, yeah, biker gang, like a Hell's Angel, uh, they're certainly going to be completely infiltrated um, by undercover cops, FBI, everything, you name it, DEA, whatever. You know, so it, it probably gets to the point where any given time, like, no telling how many of the members are actually cops. You know, so you're essentially you're essentially dealing with another uh, alphabet agency, basically, 
except for it takes on a different form. And like you're saying, they're mainly involved in drug running. Well, you know, it's already come out that the that's what the CIA does. I mean, they have a lot of, a lot of involvement in that. Then, which I believe, I believe all the stories about the uh, CIA being all up in the middle of drug running and all that. I think that's uh, it's the you know, I mean, the whole war on drugs thing is is a so a tool of social control. And it only serves the state apparatus. That's all it does. I mean, you know, it 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 legitimize it, it gives it some kind of uh, a backhanded air of legitimacy to the average dupe out there because you know it's like it, it, all these associations have been built up between like bad people and drug use. You know, it's like oh well, you know, so they just extend it out into this overall overarching war on drugs, which is actually absolutely preposterous on its face. I mean. You know, wage war against plants, wage war against, you know, op- opiate derivatives. You know, it's, all of it comes from plants. So it's, it's basically war on plants, stuff that grows out of the ground and substance, substances. And then, you know, like point out before, you know, it's like, uh, well, you can get high on gasoline. You know, you can get high off, you know, so-called inhalants and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, that doesn't seem like that big of a concern, you know. So what what exactly is the concern, you know? that needs to be addressed with this war on drugs, you know, getting high. I mean, cause you know, like I pointed out, you can get high on a lot of stuff and people do, they get high on freaking, uh, whip. What, what is it? Whip, whip cream, inhaling there out of the whip cream thing. People get high uh, on yeah, the, um, the, the nitrous, the nitrous oxide in the whip cream bottle. It's, oh, uh, nitrous oxide. Yeah. That's another thing too. And that's, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, what, what are we going to do about all this? You know, is, is that I mean, what it, what is the war against people getting high because people get high on all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, but, you know, we're not concerned about those high, that kind of high. I mean, what it doesn't make any sense. But what does make sense is that the uh, the, the, the so-called government be actively bringing all these drugs in for people to to to, to you know, get into the drug culture and the drug scene, which what, you know, we, we point out too, in this, these culture creators that make this popular music and stuff, they always have this drug themes and stuff like that. And it's heavily promoted in this, um, rock and roll scene, you know, like talk, talk about like, you know, like the Ed Sullivan show, you know, you have like the, um, what was it? Uh, J- Jim Morrison, when he showed up on there one night, he's all high on drugs and everything. It was all, you know, ha ha, look how, you know, great this is, you know, I'm high and like, you know, it's like the, the Beatles advocated well, drugs, the Rolling Stones advocated drug use. Well, the, like that is, the Ed, the Ed Sullivan thing. The drugs in. Yeah, the Ed Sullivan thing was a contrived thing, obviously, because what it was is they t- they told the doors, oh, you're not allowed to say, girl, we couldn't get much higher. Oh, yeah. And then he said it. Then he says it live on air, but they couldn't stop it, Chris. No, they can. Yeah, right. Yeah, they can't. They don't have a second, seven second delay or nothing. Yeah, uh, they weren't. They weren't able to catch that. You know, he, it's going out live national television, and um, yeah, they just couldn't stop him from saying, "Girl, we couldn't get much higher." Of course, the doors were banned from Ed Sullivan from that, but that only helped their bad boy image, right? Right. You know what is um. Uh, is Lynn still on there? Mm. Lynn, are you on? I guess not. No. Uh, well, 
Well, yeah. Why wouldn't Why wouldn't the government be involved? So called government be involved in uh, bringing in the drugs? You know, like so. Obviously, the culture creators are promoting the 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 sex, drug, and rock and roll that, that went along with the, the this, this cultural push with you know the rock music and all that. Now, what if uh, the alphabet agencies out there that were set up to prevent? What if they were successful? That would have been bad, wouldn't it? Yeah, man, tune in. Timothy Leary's like tune in, drop out, tune in. You know, and and then you got all this promotion of drug culture, but nobody can get any drugs because the uh, the the good guys and the agencies uh, got a handle on it and really, you know, put a crimper on the supply. That that would have been a bad. That that wouldn't have been <laughs> successful, would it? It's like yeah, everybody do drugs, but you can't find any drugs. There ain't no drugs. You know, so it, 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 yeah. What would it? Yeah, what would? Yeah, that's what a would great point. Yeah, uh, just kind of realize that you know it's like well it was, you know we pointed out all the time too how this stuff comes goes hand in hand you know it's, it's coordination that that's visible well, and then becomes obvious you just have to ask yourself too like think of everything that you've watched that you've listened to um since since the 60s, whether it's rap or whether it's rock or whatever it is, and what does it promote in the mainstream for the most part? Is it promoting drug use? Yes, it is. Is it promoting, you know, um, it's promoting all of the things that allegedly the powers that be are, you know, trying to help get you you know, get you away from. That's what all of these alphabet soup things are all set up in the name of. It's like, oh, we got the, you know, it, but but see, they can't stop the entertainment industry from, I mean, they can't stop the entertainment industry from promoting drugs in movies, right? Yeah, or if, like, you wanted to say, well, it's, it's free speech, you can say what you want, can't, but it, because you got your First Amendment right. Well, that doesn't mean you couldn't have a uh, something set up as a vocal opposition to all that to come out and be uh, ridicule that idea or to point out the you know the downsides to indulging well, Chris, this type of crap. You know, Chris, let's get let, let's get real though. Let's get real about it here. Um, if the government wanted to shut you up about or shut up movies or, or songs about drugs, they would do it if they wanted to. Oh. They'd get rid of it. Yeah, and you probably <laughs> point out examples of other things that were shut down. I mean, now, oh, well, no, John, they can't shut it down because don't we have all kinds of uh, popular films and movies talking about how the Holocaust was a uh, hoax and fake? No, we don't have that, do we? we? Don't don't have any representation of uh, the obvious fact that the Holocaust was hoax. I mean, it's obvious when you look into it that it was a it didn't really happen. But but free speech dictates that we hear about it, right? That that it gets um, out there into the uh, uh, mainstream of culture, doesn't it? Or no, I'm or I'm I just being totally facetious, ain't I? Uh, well, you. I mean, have you ever 
have you ever seen, I mean, how many movies, uh, and anybody listening to this, don't get me wrong, I'm not a white nationalist, and I I'm not a Nazi sympathizer. I believe Nazis were just as controlled as communists or anybody else that, you know, Hitler was a puppet. You know, I don't think he was a good guy. But um, seriously, I mean, how many not how many Nazi films are there out there? Millions of Nazi films, where Nazis Nazis are the bad guys, right? The ultimate evil, right? They even have I mean, Nazi zombie I'm, video games and everything, dude. Like, I'm, I'm back when I used to watch movies. You know, going on four or five years ago haven't watched a movie i'm not kidding they would have at least like five nazi films a year where nazis are just like the worst people ever oh yeah oh yeah and and you know i used to joke around about it I used to be like dude this is i mean another another nazi film it's like you know it's just it's pretty funny but but you know going back to that like um, I, I remember somebody made this video a while back. You know, there's all this hatred for guns, right? Like everybody hates guns. Guns are bad. Guns are scary. You got to be scared of guns. You don't have to be scared of people with the gun. You have to be scared of the gun itself, the inanimate object. That's what you have to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. But yet Hollywood and all of the people who come out in Hollywood who are anti-gun, these anti-gun Hollywood people, they have no problem uh, promoting gun violence in their movies, right? And so I remember somebody made this video a while back. It's pretty funny. And it was um, it was all these people who came in as anti-gun. And they uh, every time they had an anti-gun statement, they would show clips of them in their movies using guns. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was good. <laughs> that was a good one. Like they would show them. Not, yeah, they had that. Not. It was like. Uh, it was right after the slogan. Not one more or something like that. Right. So they would say the yeah, slogan, right. the catchphrase, and then it would it, then it would switch to them uh, <laughs> shooting a shotgun or something, blowing somebody's head off. It was like, uh, uh, yeah, that's classic. That's a classic. Uh, uh, anti-propaganda there that's a good one but yeah right and yeah but they can't have any control over that john because that's free speech right and, and again i'm being, <laughs> see, <it's> just <laughs> no I, no it's just ridiculous it's just ridiculous i don't know it's like uh no right yeah like so the point is like all the promotion, overt promotion of drug use and celebrating it and glamorizing it. There's nothing, nothing that uh, Hollywood or anybody else could have done to suppress that because it's free speech, right? Uh, yeah, 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 right. It's free speech. That's right. Yeah, that's it's free right. speech when it suits the the agenda, and then somehow when. You go to a, an arena where it, it's something that is, is is verboten, which you shouldn't have ver, verboten topics and something that's dealing with free speech. All of a sudden, it's not that important. It kind of vacillates back, back and forth between. Oh, it's it's it's, it's the ultimate import, important thing that we have free speech. 
the First Amendment is uh, sacrosanct, but then on the other hand, it's not. It, well, just back to what I always point out with that thing called the Constitution. It's like so flexible. It's, it's just so extremely flexible, even in the minds of the people who uh, defer to it. Like it's, you know, it's, it's so flexible. It's like, a, and then they can have these platitudes that you can throw out there like, uh, well, you can't have Holocaust denial because you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. It's like, what the fuck does that have to do with yelling fire in a crowded theater? <laughs> no, it's something you could throw out there that negate this idea that the First Amendment is sacrosanct. Right. And, and another thing, like Rochelle was bringing up earlier, I just caught the tail end of it when I was uh, coming in there. You see the, the um, up and coming youth, what they're really being taught and, and what people engage in, you know, have engaged in for a long time, I'm guessing for millennia, I guess, you know, is contradictory belief, but it's going to be on a mass scale. I mean, I heard this clip on No Agenda where it was this, you know, it, I can't remember. It was maybe it was some Olymp, you know, some um, some woman saying she's, you know, not going to stand for the flag when the national anthem's played at some sporting event now, you know, because of the quarterback or whatever. And she was basically saying that in, in so many words that she was standing up for, you know, for her free speech. But at the same time, she was basically saying that, you know, uh, people shouldn't be able to say hateful things. Right. So right. she was standing up for free speech, but because people shouldn't be able to say hateful things. And, and so, you know, I, I know this, this is an old, an old thing that's long time coming, but yeah, that's, that's, that is kind of what 1984 is about is that you can hold these, um, these contradictory beliefs to where, um, you know, contradictory beliefs, I, I think like, you know, my generation and your generation, they're very subtle. They're kind of like, um, they're internal. Mm -hmm. You know, it, but but now now you're going to see contradictory beliefs kind of come more out in the open to where people are going to be, um, um, you know, like it's going to be promoted to speak your mind, and it's 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 going to be something as contradictory as that, where it's like, where it's like, you know, it's all about free speech, you know, but but don't say hateful things. I mean, that's a great that's a great thing right there. It's just. So it's so hilarious, you know. Oh, you're not. And oh, yeah, that's a great point with all this stuff that's coming out with the um, cultural Marxism and the university system and all that. Where it's where where yeah, where, yeah. You can have free speech. You can say whatever you want. It's free country, but um, you know, it's 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 the old. Uh, you know, you can always fall back on that, though. Like, I, I threw that out there as kind of a joke, but it's like, actually, people use that. Like, oh, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater, so you can't say mean things. You, you can't say mean things because that's 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 tantamount to yelling fire in a crowded theater. 
you know, so if you want to negate the importance of the so-called First Amendment, that's all you got to do. You got to somehow loosely tie it to that vague concept, like of yelling fire in a crowded theater. Like it, it, it's, it, but it's it's meaningless. It's totally meaningless. But it, it, yeah, it's instructive of how absolutely flexible the whole notion of this thing called the Bill of Rights is. You know, it's it's, it's completely it's, it's as malleable as uh, silly putty. And I don't think that even the the primary target. I think like what this does is it makes people more malleable in general. It's not necessarily like that the race, you know, the you know, the race thing of a hate speech or any of that type of stuff is necessarily directed towards, um, you know, combating racism or, you know, like getting rid of white people or, or, you know, it has nothing to do with like, Oh, we're going to get rid of the white race or something like that. What it does is just makes people more easily manageable, more easy, easily downloaded with the new, with the new upgrades, with the new way of thinking, and it's one more step in that in that move towards you know uh, like you've referenced so many times you know Brzezinski talking about where you know people are not going to they're not going to get their information from themselves they're not going to retain information from well, they're not going to retain information period but they're not going to get information for themselves they're going to you know get it I'll give you an example I was in, I was in somewhere this morning. And I noticed a gentleman, you know, reading headlines on the newspaper and walking out. Uh huh. Right. He didn't even pick the newspaper up. He just scanned right. the headlines, and then he walked. And then he walked away. He felt he felt good. He he was that was enough. <laughs> he didn't even he didn't even pick the newspaper up with, and and touch the newspaper. He just scanned it, looked at it for a second. Kind of shook his head, like in like, okay, yeah, I feel, I feel good now. I feel informed. Here's something to do, like anybody listening to this can check this out, and in this will confirm. I brought this up before with with newspapers, especially, and I'm sure with any article on the internet or anything like that. Look at what the information is in the first four paragraphs, because. I, I think it's like a lot of things in, in our, you know, media saturated, information saturated, uh, you know, conditions we have here is that people will like scan things and they only probably typically read like the first four paragraphs of any kind of article or anything and then pay attention to what is in the, the, at, at the summation or at the end of the article. You'll always get something in the end of the article that will completely change your idea of what you're talking what what is being communicated it's almost like there is like a two part uh components to any article that's out there where knowing full well that most people aren't going to read on into the rest of the article and your initial impression is what you're going to walk away with and i think the way why that's done that way is that um is sort of a a way to um, manip- manipulate, of course, you know, manipulation of the you know what what is being put out there, so that it 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 it, it it's crafted to to for people to take away a certain idea, 
but that they would not get if they read the entire thing. And a lot of times when you read the entire thing, it's like it's it's an admittance that what, you know, you just got through reading previously may not be true at all. And uh, I wish I had an example of I I'll, I could, you know, for future reference, I'll, you know, if I go into this again on a, another call, I'll, 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 I'll point out examples of this because I've seen it so many times. It's so prevalent out there. And you know what I'm you know what I'm talking about, right, John? I don't know if we lost John or not. I don't hear anything other than there. But yeah, um, I think you know. Yeah, most people have picked up on it. You know, a lot of people listening to these calls have picked up on that. That how, um, yeah, articles and stuff are written, and you don't generally get the full picture until you read the complete article. And most people don't. And most people just skim head. I mean, not most. I don't know how many people do, but I, I would uh, I'll be willing to bet it's a high percentage that either just skim the headlines or they uh, read the first couple of paragraphs. Cause, you know, he's got time to read an entire newspaper. Most people don't. Um, but, uh, yeah, you, you'll 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 notice that if you look for it. Just what I'm talking about, where. All the kind of meat is down into the end of the story, and then like uh, the 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 mea culpa or whatever, or it's like, well, I you know, no, but, true. what they'll do, what they'll do is it'll say, it'll say, um, you know, article headline will say, you know, Chris Kendall commits a uh, robbery at local convenience store, mm-hmm. and then it'll say. You know, local lot man Chris Kendall, who host of the Hoaxbusters call radio broadcast, um, may have potentially committed a robbery. Uh, somebody said that they saw a man who kind of looked like Chris, and he matched the description of Chris, but they didn't actually see or verify that it was Chris, but he kind of looked like him. And so authorities are looking into it, but it, but the headline will say, but see, the headline says Chris Kendall commits robbery at local convenience store, right? Yeah, so or brought, brought in. It, it, I think here, here's a way to, let me, let me tweak it a little bit. Like, it'll say something to the fact that I was, um, I, I was brought, I was, something that suggested that I was brought into custody for, in, um, for a local robbery and then the the inferences there is i was arrested and brought up on charges of being involved in a robbery but you don't get that until you're at the end of the story where it says i wasn't even arrested i was just brought in for questioning because uh my neighbor knew a guy that uh and i saw the guy at in the alley right before the robbery and that's what i was brought in for questioning about and it has nothing to do with me even being accused of it but then the headline will give the impression that like i was the one that did the robbery now that yeah. might be an extreme yeah. example but something along that lines yeah yeah, and they and they do that all the time with things like you know political things people say like where they misquote them, and see I'm of the persuasion that like they do that on purpose for people like if they you know let's say like the the mainstream media you know 
because they hate Donald Trump, quote unquote, hate. Um, they hate Donald Trump, so they misquote Donald Trump and, and make him look bad, right? I believe that that that's done on purpose to make people mad who are reading the article who like Donald Trump, right? So like Sonny Barger going to jail, it's like gives him street cred. All the right, yeah, exactly the cops hate him, so but, it must be good. But see, you have to understand something too, which um, Christina, the the stories that I've told you about my inner, you know, my um, my brush with you know doing deliveries to um, media centers, right? So I'll right. I'll never engage in anything with mainstream media uh, ever is because they cannot tell the truth. Like it's not foundationally, it's not foundationally built on truth. And oh, have you I've, ever brought I've, up I've that uh, where you tell me about the that one doctor show? I didn't know if you wanted to bring that up or not, or have you brought that up before? No, we can talk about it another time. But yeah, okay. Yeah, we'll talk about it another time in the future. But yeah, the um, but yeah, the. Uh, yeah, something like that. It's, it's just they cannot tell the truth. They cannot help themselves. And um, before we go, let, let me read this quote about truth. Okay. This is from the uh, Brothers Karamazov from by Dostoevsky. So the man who lies to himself and listens to his own lie comes to a point to where he does not discern any truth either in himself or anywhere around him and thus falls into disrespect towards himself and others. Uh -huh. And so I think a lot of people, a lot more people than most, most want to admit, see that there isn't any truth and that there's a whole lot of lies, especially because you have to understand that, that people have a relationship with mainstream media. Like they have a personal, intimate relationship with their television. I don't have that relationship anymore. I did for a long time. I didn't understand it until I had to sit there and think about it. And it's like, this television is one of the family. It's the person that you come and you, sit and you have a conversation with and you sit and listen to for six hours a night. And most people don't even interact with human beings as much as they interact with their TV. And so when when people start to realize that there's so many untruths and lies coming out of that, they they start to feel uncomfortable and they start to question what you know the family member is talking about. Right. And so so yeah. Um, there may be an end game uh, already planned out result as, as uh, Lynn and Rochelle were talking about, but um, I guess in that sense, uh, you'd have to go listen to the song by T-Rex where he says, you won't stop the children of the revolution. <laughs> uh -huh. Right. It's always it's always the youth that revolt, not you know, not the old old timers who, because 
the youth are easy to trick into believe that revolution. So children, you know, you always see that children of the revolution, you know, revolting youth and things like that because the youth are not experienced enough to know that it's, it's, it doesn't do anything. And what gets me with the youth, you know, it, it, it's now, now you can't uh, broad brush paint, the, you know, the youth in any one particular kind of, uh, you know, mindset, you know, specifically either are these, you know, or, or categorize them across the board as being stupid or anything like that. Because, you know, you talk about like just different people and some people are very intelligent and some people are, you know, even in their youth are pretty wise, you know. But then there's this thing, too. It's like, aren't you smart enough to know that you're inexperienced? Like, you ever? I I asked myself that question when I was younger. It's like, I'm smart enough. I, I think I was smart enough to know that I was inexperienced. And it's not that Absolutely. I listened to the elders, you know, and I probably should have, but I was, I, I was aware. I guess it comes down to maybe self awareness too. I mean, some people just don't. You, have know that, it. you know what that is? That comes from being a guitar player. <laughs> because you, you're not going to start quoting know, uh, John Bon Jovi, are you? No. What I'm, what I'm saying is, is <laughs> you think you're, you think you're pretty good at guitar. And then you see a video of West Montgomery. Oh yeah, and you you realize that you don't know jack squat. Yeah, you, <laughs> first you become embarrassed, and then you're like, "Oh yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know." You know well, maybe there's something. Yeah, you, I mean, I think you're saying that kind of tongue in cheek, but I think there's something to that. Oh, I think it, there is something to it because because it. You know, if if you if you pride yourself on something like that, you do you you know have a skill of some sort. It's not that you're in competition with somebody else; it's just somebody else comes along and you're just you're amazed at their talent, whatever it may be, whether it be a talent playing an instrument or whether it be a talent, you know, like painting or you know even using a skill saw or something like that. You're just like man. I seriously have a lot more to learn about this because this guy, <laughs> you know, this guy knows his stuff. So, well, John, I've walked these streets, um, you know, with a loaded six string on my back and I, I play for keeps because I might not make it back. You know, I've been everywhere. I, I can't remember the next line. Uh, well, you know, I'm standing tall. I've seen a million faces. I've rocked them all, John. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, I always, I always get the two songs mixed up, the blaze of glory song and, and the cowboy song. He's like, he, he had that fascination with the whole cowboy thing, the, the glam rocker cowboy. <laughs> yeah. What, I mean, yeah. What was exactly what that was uh, trying to address? I don't know, but. No, I, well, <laughs> yeah, there is uh, a from lot the, from of the young people gun, who are artists that are... Young Guns 2 soundtrack, by the way. The, the what? Oh, yeah. I said, the by, the, young guns by the way, from, from the Young Guns 2 soundtrack. 
<laughs> but it is funny that there are uh, a lot of musicians and artist types that are into the whole so-called conspiracy view of things. And um, is that because there's something that goes hand in hand with uh, that mentality? Or is it because it gives you insight into the nature of so-called reality as a, uh, as a, a, an act, a bit of theater, because you kind of have uh, intuitive insight into what would constitute art, what would constitute theater, what would constitute, you know, a, a, a manufactured reality as opposed to a, a real reality. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I, oh, yeah, because it's it's hard to convey. Well, I mean, if you really if you really desire to learn how to cultivate your art, whether it be you know painting or sculpting or playing an instrument, whatever it may be, poetry, you realize that there's something. I, I can't remember exactly what the quote is or who said it, but it's. Um, it's akin to that a you know a a thought becomes corrupted the second it's spoken mm-hmm. and um what that has to do with is that um that there's something if you're into it and you and you understand what's taking place when you're you know painting or you know playing a song or something improvising in the moment um there's something deeper going on. There's something deeper to it. It's not just strumming on your guitar and, um, or it's not just, you know, it's not just painting on a canvas There's something deeper happening on a metaphysical level. I would for lack of a better word. I think, I think it is metaphysical. And then once you've accessed that area of your brain to where you look at the world that way, then you start to see other things start to notice like okay there's you know there's something else taking place that I, that is unseen right Pe- people who are into art in general music or whatever it may be understand what i'm seeing here there's something else taking place when you're creating when you're creating something when you're doing something creative and and it's indescribable it's not something you can speak into you know, and describe just happening. And then you're able to, I think, I think personally that you're able to recognize other things. Or like this, um, recognition, could you recognize, um, what you just got described would be like the, the, the process of making art. And then as, you know, someone who maybe had, like, you know, like you and I both have written songs and, you know, put it, put it on, put it in music, put it into, you know, a guitar, you know, progression. And then, so you've been through that process. So, you know, you, you kind of had insight into it or, you know, maybe you kind of, um, you know, it's, it's sort of, it's sort of a form of storytelling, you know, you try maybe incorporate that into it. And then, um, so, you know, you, you, you're more familiar with it as, as an artist or maybe like someone who's a creative writer or somebody like that can, can, can pick things out and things that are conveyed, you know, presented to them. 
and then they're familiar with um, the way that you know stories and stuff are created. And then when you're presented with someone something that is like a, a story, a fiction, you you recognize it as such because the, there's there's certain telltale things that come come across in fiction, even though you may not be able to really pinpoint it and 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 draw it out and separate it and analyze it you can you're you you're aware of it you can't quite you can't quite put your finger on it but it's it's some somehow there and it's plausibly deniable i guess would be a word to put on it because you can say well you know some the this overlap of fiction and reality sometimes overlap and sometimes you have things that people will say that are instructed by fiction and is that is that what you're looking at or are you looking at something that was manufactured with the you know inside into like looking at stuff that's fake and staged and i'm not just talking about like um these hoax events or anything like that but i'm talking about just you know what what is presented to you with this thing known as politics or the political uh well, I call it theater, but and most people don't call it that. But uh, yeah, well, you, also yeah, you're looking at. I mean, you, you know, we're that's another thing. And this might be something for another talk because I have to go to bed here soon. But our culture is staged. No, it you is. Know, like our our culture is staged. Our the things that we that get dished out through mass communication, mass media. On for the you know ninety nine point nine percent of the time, that one percent is the little intricate thing that you might be into yourself. That you you know when you're not watching your television or listening to your radio, you're actually you know most people don't like anything. You know that Chris? Like they don't actually really enjoy anything because they've been taught to enjoy what they've been told to enjoy. And so yeah. enjoyment and gratification, I think, used to be two different things. Um, now enjoyment and gratification are synonymous because it's just you're gratifying, it's self-gratification through the enjoyment of something that, you know, like you've been told to consume. And, you know, so... That's that's what a lot of people, unfortunately, come through, and they don't actually recognize, um, like, and you you know what I'm talking about, like something that's the the most superficial way to describe this would be somebody who is like a trendy in high school, like they only like something because everybody else liked it. Well, we have like a world of trendies who have no pure enjoyment of anything. They don't even know how to enjoy something. Right. And I think that's one of the biggest crimes of all <laughs> is mm. that people got, people got taught to enjoy things as long as they come through the mass communication. It's not something where like, I'm going to find something I think, but I think every single person on this planet at one time or another comes in contact with something that they truly do actually enjoy. But I think what happens a lot of time is because of 
peer pressure or whatever, like they feel embarrassed because they like it. Oh yeah. You know? And so, so there's, so there's, um, you know, I know you don't listen to the radio. I don't listen to the radio. I just put on something that I want to listen to, not because I I have some sort I have some sort of I might be scared like oh somebody might hear me listening to this and they they're not going to know you know they're going to say like why why are you listening to um, you know why are you listening uh, to Sibelius in your car you know that's weird why are you listening to classical music that's weird it, it, like I care what anybody else thinks right mm-hmm. right but some people will think that's weird they're going to be like whoa. That's weird. You listen to classical music, you know, or whatever it may be, whether, you know, maybe I feel like putting on, um, you know, round and round by rat. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah, the young guns Two soundtrack or something. Or the young guns Two soundtrack. Or as I recently heard Jay reference, which I thought was hilarious. The Bruce Willis album, The Return of Bruno. Now, I would take, uh, <laughs> I would take pause on that, but uh, well, I wouldn't be the one to judge, right? I mean, if you, if that's, your I'm theory. just gonna, I'm just gonna say this right, right here. Then I gotta go to bed. If you want any, if you want something, if you want to know how discredited, if, if somebody thinks that they can get anything useful from a Rolling Stone magazine. Okay. Rolling Stone had Bruce Willis on the cover for that album. Okay. That is, that completely and totally discredits that as a magazine just for that. Okay. <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> it wasn't because, yeah, I would have to agree with that. It, yeah. it wasn't because he was a, he was in Die Hard. They didn't have him on the cover because he was in Die Hard or he was a big movie star. They had him on the cover to promote his album, The Return of Bruno. Okay? Yeah. Rolling Stone is discredited. Not not that this is any surprise, but um, just so you know, Rolling Stone does have intelligence connections, too. Oh, sure. Surely they do. But, uh, yes. Right. So, yeah, and then, you know, are are right? What what a lot of you know? Yeah, I know we've went into that before with popular music. You know what what exactly makes it popular is um, the yeah the social proof that's given given to it by uh, Rolling Stone and the other purveyors of uh, culture. You know, it's like well, yeah, we you know yeah. tell you what's yeah, up and then we'll tell you what's good to listen to and what's not and. People in general sort of yeah. give that a lot of weight. And I think I think what, what, what we've been talking about with the punk scene, you know, um, which we've been getting a lot of good response to, and thanks to everybody for all their feedback. Um, um, not only does it just you know expose what was going on in the in the punk scene, but it also exposes what was going on in art in general and how you seeing down through that time. And and as we keep going through this, you're going to see this uh, degradation of the idea of art continuing. 
and the further homogen, you know, paving the way for further homogenization. Yeah, it's kind of now become so formulaic where I, you know, people chalk this up to be, oh, well, you're just old, so you don't understand the current scene, you know, with the music where it, it it all sounds the same. And it, it, and I, I really don't think it's purely subjective on my part where, when I could say that, you know, if, if you take a, a, a Katy Perry song and a Britney Spears song and you, or, or a lot of this popular music and you run them all on the same track, you know, you run them consecutively where it's not going to, sound like the same uh source it's going to sound like the same they could they are interchangeable and i've said this before too with like uh, these popular acts out there it's like you, you can there there's some of them that I, I i was proposing this like you know you could you can mix and match the tracks off these different albums that come out and nobody would be the wiser because they sound so similar right well, and, I, I think uh, yeah. I think too, and I, and when, when when we talked to Aaron Franz, he brought he brought this up. He said, he said, well, there is something about this music that is likable, you know, like because people do like it, and there is something infectious about it. The one thing that I'll say um, is to ta- is to take a kind of, um, I guess, for lack of a better word. If you if you could analyze that correctly through like a like a Frankfurt School type filter, which I do think that this is that something that the that those guys talked about was correct, is that is what they do with that music is they mix and match emotional elements that are that are gratifying to the ear. But it's all done through very cheap means. It's all done very cheaply. It's not. It's not done um, from um, from from a true. You know, from a foundation of truth. It's done from a commodified foundation. It's it's not being done to create music or to create art. It's being done to create a commodity. So right. So. So the emotional appeal that is applied to those music, you know, I could listen to a Miley Cyrus song or something like that, and I could understand the infectious nature of the tune of the melody or something like that, but, and say like, okay, those particular chords in that particular, um, in that particular linear sequence, um, I understand why this is working and why people like it. But this is a commodity that's being made to sell. It's not true art. It's not real art. Yeah, synthetic. It's uh, mass-produced and formulaic. It's, it's it. That's why you know you can rightly say that it sounds the same because it, it it is the same formula. It's not. It's not. There's not much uh, derivation from one to the other. It's it's going to be. It's going to follow the same formula, which is the formula that is. I'm not saying that it's not a formula for no reason, but, um, yeah, it's, it has the hooks. It has the, uh, appeal to it on one level, but yeah, it's a mass produced product. It's like a fast food hamburger or something. Yeah. And it's 
yeah, formulas are a little bit harder to distinguish because I think that there's certain formulas to melody. I mean, there's only, you know, there's only eight notes. So there's only so many things that you can do. Um, well, technically there's seven, but, you know, do, ra, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, do and do being the beginning and the end. You have, there's only so many things you can do with those formulaic, you know, creating formulas that people are going to like. It's like, if you listen to jazz, jazz has a formula to it, which people like, people like that formula, right? Uh-huh. I mean, people, rec- people recognize it as such. Classical music has a formula to it, but it's not the same formula as pop music, as a pop music formula. Pop music is is a formula in the sense that it's confined it's confined to a certain time space, and it has to be taken care of within that certain amount of time. So you you know back in the Back in the 60s, it was two minutes and 30 seconds. You know, that's how long a pop song had to be. I think today pop songs are a little bit longer, but not too much, because you don't want that attention span to grow. you got to keep that attention span down. And it's right. basically like, like, remember when I showed you that Nicki Minaj song? Um, yeah. And, and then you said something akin to, like, like, like they smashed like every, like everything you could possibly think of into one song. Mm-hmm. Right, and it was all it was all of these references that already existed. You know, it's like it kind of sounds like a club. It sounds like a club song. There's a little bit of rap in there. There's a little bit of R and B. There's a little bit of, of pop. There's even kind of some like you know rock guitar element. You know, like it right. had like every element of of appeal going on in it, and you know, even you know, techno beats and all sorts of stuff. And it, it's like it's like the epitome of postmodernist music, and right. um, it was all it was all smashed into three minutes. Well, yeah, yeah, and then every other song is going to have those same elements, but kind of in a you know, in a different arrangement. But, um, yeah, there's going to be that common thread throughout all of it until it plays itself out, you know, so to speak, I guess, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, I played myself out. i got to go to bed at 10. And, all right, man, um, thanks. I guess this would be one of those conversations that either people are going to like or they're not going to like. <laughs> yeah, well, that's usually the case. All right. Yes. All right, dude. I'll talk to you tomorrow. All right. Have a good night. All right. You too. Bye. Bye. Do do do. All right. So we're going into the uh, phase now where we close up shops. And, uh, so let's see who was on the call tonight. We had Lynn, and, uh, we had Rochelle, and John Adams on the call. 
Well, I'm not forgetting. I don't care if forgetting anybody. Um, yeah, thanks all of y'all for coming onto the call. Thanks to everybody that's in the chat. Uh, thanks for coming out, checking out the call tonight. Um, yeah, check out hoaxbusterscall.com um, for all things hoaxbusters. Uh, we'll see what else. Yeah, that's about it. Um, there's a couple of things uh, that are on there I don't think I covered. And some stuff that will be forthcoming. And uh, we've got some uh, couple of audios that will be popping up this week on the afternoon commute format. Be sure to uh, look for those as they come into your podcast and uh player of choice yeah so that was a good call enjoyed it and um so instead of me rambling on I guess I'll just uh conclude there and thanks again everybody for coming out kind of feel like I'm forgetting to say something but um you know whatever I could pick it back up next time but yeah tune in Monday nights at uh, 9 Eastern. That's what we typically do. And if you want to call in, all the information is at the top of the Hostbusters, uh call.com blog for instructions on uh, how, to, how, you, how to call in if you want to call in. All right, everybody. Uh, have a good night and uh, take care and uh, hopefully see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Hoaxbusters Call. You can subscribe to the podcast at hoaxbusterscall.com. You can support the Hoaxbusters Call by rating it on iTunes, sharing it on social media. a donation at hoaxbusterscall.com Conspicuous graffiti in public places Hoaxbusters Call Conspiracy Just Theory so overly populated that it will tip over and uh, and capsize.
probably 1980, 81. If you want a good laugh, check out this story from Reuters. Was abducted U.S. soldier a toy? A monitored website in Dubai, which incidentally has been the main channel of communication in recent months for Abu Musab al-Zarqawi, recently posted a poor quality photo of a purportedly kidnapped U.S. soldier threatened by an unseen assailant with an assault rifle. Our Mujahideen has managed to capture the American soldier John Adam after killing a number of his colleagues, said the Mujahideen squadrons in the undated statement on their website. Actually, John Adam appears to be a G.I. Joe-type action figure made by Dragon Models USA, assault weapon included. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.